Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Probably Dad's Podcast. This is going to be episode two. I'm Phil, this is Evan. You know, we uh, we said in the last podcast we were going to get both of our uh, our uh, quote-unquote interviews in, but it didn't look like that worked out. Um, my man Evan here had a lot to say, so, you know. You had a lot to ask. I have an inquisitive mind. Um, <laughs> so what are we getting into this week, Evan? We're going to dive deep, deep, deep into the soul. How deep? Deep into the soul of Philip. Are we McCarty. talking balls deep? I don't know. I'm kind of scared to get. <laughs> As I say a vulgar language. Yeah. Children approach. Uh-oh. Um, well, yep. stay tuned for the episode, and we will get with you in just a moment. Don't remind me of my father. I hate my father. You tell me, who is your daddy? I am the father. And thankfully, some dads took action. Basically, what do they want for Father's Day? Uh, for the media to stop portraying dads as buffoons. All right, and we're back. Um, well, the big man here got his kids down for uh, for night-night, so... I guess we're doing dad stuff. You know, that's that's kind of how this works. We work all day. You do your father stuff when you have yours. I do the father stuff at mine. We try to slide this in at nighttime, weekends, in between breaks. You know, when we can get it. That's the biggest balance. That's golly, man, doing your time, whether it's the gym, whether it's just being alone in the bathroom. You know, all those cliche dad like stigmas i guess yeah, the yeah. the stigmatization of uh is stigmatization even a word i don't know mm, no okay i mean it's a word if enough there. people go yeah, with yeah, it yeah. so well. if everybody wants to join in to make evan feel better about that <laughs> word start using stigmatization <laughs> and so he's good thanks no 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 it's just you hear you watch movies you hear uh, i guess comics and everybody else talk about the the me time or the the alone time me too well yeah no not me too Right, but basically saying, "Hey, when you have kids, that's all over with, and it's not a moment of peace." That is so true, especially yeah, with more than one. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you have two now, and then you're like, "Let's uh, let's make sure we got this thing on cruise control. Get a third in, you know, because triangles are the strongest shapes in nature." Oh. So now you got three, and now you got that good yeah. pyramid. You got, yeah. you know, Sage being the puppet master <laughs> over her two youngers. It'd be good. That'd be She's good, the boss. Man. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's jump right into this. Okay. So okay. last night you did me. Whoa. Yeah. Phrasing. Yeah. Well, it's on camera, so just yeah. so everybody's clear, there was no penetration, mm. Mm. or at least there was no, no skin. There yeah. was no skin on skin contact, so it doesn't <laughs> count. You know. Uh, no, I think you had some some really good talking points with me. You did ask some really pointed questions, uh, dug into my past, dug into my you know, present and future. Um, I was I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed. Was yeah, good. so had a good flow to it. Had a good flow to it, man. Well, obviously, it's easy for us to talk. We have a long relation friendship, you know, as far as uh, us going back. So. Um, but I think we're both good talkers in general. We Conversation comes natural between us, and I think that was yeah. the main reason we wanted to do this in the first place. But um, but let's start let, let's let's start 
yeah. and go into where you're at now. Where am I at now? Yeah. Let's start so. career-wise, just kind of delve into your career. Um, All right, yeah. So, I mean, professional. Okay. right now, uh, you know, I work for a, uh, uh, you know, like a national staffing agency as their corporate compliance officer. So, um, I work in coordination essentially with all the departments, um, developing various policies or procedures um, to make sure the company runs better. You know, it was a really unique opportunity. It was a mom and pop shop um, for a long time. They grew exponentially over the last, you know, six or seven years. Um, you know, they've been around for almost 30 now. Hmm. You know, they wrote 52,000 W-2s last year. I mean, it's a, it's a massive organization, 40 locations across the country. And, I mean, they had zero corporate infrastructure, like none, hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so they've been building out this executive team, which I'm a part of, uh, you know, to give it some structure to where it's, you know, uniform and it looks like the same company, whether you're in Dallas or Atlanta or in D.C. It doesn't look like independent little franchises running, you know, running wild. Um, so essentially I'm like the hall monitor, safety patrol, if you will, um, for the company, but I also make the rules. Um, and when I do that, I work with our training staff and with the other executives get it out to our people into the branches and uh, then I'll travel a couple of times a month all over the country to those various locations um, well, and when you audit that stuff. So when you started with this company, is that, did you, did this job evolve into what it is now for you, your yeah, position? Yeah, or I cre- this, how did you, this position did you didn't, didn't create, it wasn't, it didn't exist. Mm. Right. So I was working kind of uh, in a management and operations role, I, you know, you know, I told you when I got out of uh, law school, I didn't go to law school to be a lawyer. You know, I, I still not a big fan of them. I mean, nothing against any lawyers out there listening. And, you know, I have my friends at law school, but, um, you know, I worked for a very prestigious firm when I got out of law school. I worked for a very prestigious firm. While I was in law school, you know, that was a very coveted position and beat out a lot of people to get. Um, and, you know, that whole blue blood ivory tower shit is not for me, man. Um, those people work 78 hours a week and I, my salary now versus what it was at my firm. I left literally, you know, I was making double, I was working double the hours. So it was yeah. like just having two of my jobs now. It's miserable. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and that's great for some people if that's how you work. Like some people can are cool with sitting, just sitting at the same office, same desk every day, and just grinding away, you know. And people are like, "Well, that's not is that what lawyers do?" Like, yeah, less than ten percent of cases go to trial, so most of your work's done behind a computer, and it's all about getting billable hours. It's not about, you know, it's not about the law, like the, the lofty af- aspirations you have while you're in law school, you know. So, um, you know, I always tell the story. They're like, well, "What do you mean?" I was like, "You know, I worked on a case where." Uh, you know, I was working with a partner on this case, and after months of de- development through discovery, and sitting with him on, on a uh, in a deposition, um, you know, we were able to put together the the, uh, the plaintiff's attorney had lied, and you know, it's a it's a punishable offense for an attorney to file a frivolous lawsuit. It's called an eleven B sanction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I asked my my boss, I was like, "Hey, man." Uh, we're gonna 
file sanctions on that guy, right, for being a dirtbag, for lying. He's like, absolutely not. If he doesn't lie, you don't get your billables. You better hope he lies. And I'm like, I, I threw up a little bit in my mouth. Yeah. I was like, oh, 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 you know. And I was just like, that was one time in another in another instance. Uh, you know, I, I worked for I worked corporate defense and mostly for insurance companies. Um, what even second tier as bad faith. So the insurance company defense attorneys already lost, and we would go down this next level. But for one of the other firms I worked at, um, you know, I was able to keep somebody from getting their survivor benefit oh, you know, so um, like a a man had died the insurance company got sued uh, from the owner of this big tower right he was working on and he, he had an estranged son who lived across the country and then that son's stepmom who was the gentleman's wife and they were attacking each other being greedy over the survivor benefits and just kind of having this family turmoil and I, I found a way to use the law to knock them both out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I couldn't unsee it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have a job to to do your very best for your for your client <clears throat> and to not do so would be essentially lying. Like if I saw something, I would know I was lying if I didn't put forth my best effort and you know, I brought it to my boss. I wrote it up, you know, brought it to my boss. I briefed it and wrote it to, brought it up to my boss and he's like looked at me, he could tell I was like bummed out because I was about to hose this family and uh, he's like it's not your fault they didn't hire a better attorney I'm like that's gross somebody was entitled to that you know but in that is but that was that's the job right yeah just because somebody's entitled doesn't mean they're going to get it right yeah. people miss out on stuff every day um, and attorneys jobs are to you know whoever their client is to fight for their rights to protect yeah. them whether it's criminally or civilly right that's right um, and being a uh, you know a ranger in the past, you know ex-military, and I, I fought overseas. You know, um, I don't I don't fight for like that's screwing people over for money is not yeah. w what I want to do with my life at all. Um, Mor so moral compass is pointing in a different direction. Yeah, right? like I, I mean, imagine. I know how much money I need to like live and be happy, and I don't need money that bad. Like once yeah. I get to that point, I'm good. Um, but yeah, so but that brings me back to this. So I was looking for a transition to get out of that, but I still wanted to use my education, my background yeah. through networking. Um, you know, the kids had moved up here after their mom got remarried, and I was living in Pensacola. I had, you know, worked as a operations management and kind of uh, in a sales environment for a, for an automotive group, you know, an ownership group um, with them. And then I used that management experience and working in compliance and training and regulating, you know, new staff members and whatnot to uh to kind of build up my resume into this new role where i spoke with the vice president of the company they're like hey we don't have a compliance department we've got an hr person we got a safety person we've got an in-house counsel and now we have you if you take the offer as part of our executive team and so you'll work with them to develop you know to help build out the structure this internal structure of the company so we can get everybody on the same page and operate operating at maximum capacity yeah um so essentially they said all right so what do you want to do because there, there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> so i created all this from groundwork which was really great for me because i like the creative aspect of it yeah. it sounds super boring they're like so you're a nerd that writes rules all day and then make sure people follow the rules mm -hmm. I'm like, yes <laughs> but i also help these people 
do a good job. We are a staffing industry, right? So we're putting people to work. Right. So you write 52,000 W's, we put 52,000 people to work last yeah. year, or roughly. You know, some people work different vocations. So, but you get the idea. You Absolutely. put tens of thousands yeah. of people, you know, on jobs who, if they're a staffing agency, what means they couldn't get work before. Right. Right. So uh, we're doing good by doing good, you know. There you go. So, and then on top of that, I had the opportunity to not be my own boss, but, you know, I only report to the v- two VPs of the company and, you know, the president, and he, they're just like, uh, what's your schedule going to be? You know, what are you going to do? Which is pretty cool, you know. Um, but I take it very seriously. When you get that kind of responsibility, you want to do a good job. It gives you more ownership of your work instead of just, you know, you know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it gives you more ownership of your work, and so you want to do better because it's your work. You're not yeah. being told to do somebody else's work when you're creating it rolling it out training it's your baby you know you yeah. kind of want to take good care of it um and it's been a, it's been a real blessing since i moved up here to uh, to be with my kids and you know landed that job it's, it's been really good um it's flexible you know uh-huh. so that's what i'm doing now with that i well so go back to what you were saying about coming in building the groundwork and I'll, I'll add this is i guess kind of what i've what i've understand yeah it could be monotonous and just what some people would say, oh, that's that just sounds like a horrible job. But yeah. building something from the ground up, adding structure to a company or a system that doesn't have much structure, um, not only allows for new growth, but also for new employment. And if it's a staffing agency and they're keeping people employed, you're coming up with better, innovative, or more innovative, innovative ideas, new ideas, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's allowing for more growth in the company, which is allowing more jobs. And yeah, and, and that's and I enjoy it. So you know, yeah. if I'm doing my job right, you know, I think that's the payoff. Oh, it's huge. Well, I've I mean, like the thing about. is, like you know, we've become more efficient. You know, uh, and even that, I just make my staff's life easier because you know I went out and worked each of those jobs. Yeah, like that's how I learned how to build the framework and write anything. I don't do anything that I haven't done. So I, I'm not, uh, you know, the corp. You know, most people can't stand the red tape, the corporate yeah. overlords that like have no idea about the job you do, and they're trying to tell you how to do it, and you're like, no, <laughs> no, you so know. Tell me about the. You've told me this story before, but it's the, the guys you'll show up to the branch and you actually try to help them out, and then they they actually turn on you for like, hey, he wasn't even here the whole time. Oh what? yeah, I mean, I, dude, maybe I mean, can take more trust on that me, or not. Like, I don't know. They, they, you know, the. The the high ups, you know, my my bosses, you know, the VPs and the pre- like, they they laugh and they call me, the, you know, the the, the popo, you know, I'm the police. Yeah. So uh, easily the most hated man in the company. And then I'm like, do you get mad at cameras or mirrors because I don't do anything? <laughs> you know, I tell you like, hey, here's the SOP for your job. Well, why do we have to do it like that? Because I've done your job and that's the most efficient way to do it. There's no fat in it, and if you think there is. Let's talk about it. Because I didn't create this stuff out of thin air. I went and sat did a job, consulted the most efficient people who do those jobs, and we all put our heads together and created these systems, right? And so when I show up these branches unannounced, you know, so they don't want it announced. They want they want me to show up, you know, and kind of catch them off guard and just say, all right, I'm going to sit in here. I'm going to look through stuff. You know, I know if you're doing things correctly, what it should look like on the, on the back end. And then I'll monitor their front end for a couple of days and – it, it was what's always the funniest to me is like the person at the window 
we have a lot of turnover at like the receptionist position in the, in the branches. Yeah. And so they generally have no idea who I am. And so, you know, I show up at a branch, you know, tie briefcase and they're like, who's this guy? You know, cause we do light industrial staffing. They're used to, uh, you know, yeah. people ready to go do construction work and be out at a work, you know, job site. So is that guy coming to apply for a job? You know? And so they're always like, so they're smiling, very happy to see me. And then I tell them my name. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm Phil. I'm with the corporate office. And I just watched their front, their their happy face go. To, oh, oh yeah, my our manager told us about you. Let me uh, and they it, uh, the best part is they don't let me in immediately. They like act like they're gonna keep me out. They're like, let me uh, let me go get somebody. I'm like, your parents? Is your mommy home? Like, open the door. <laughs> what are you talking about? But they still they always wait. They're like, I don't know what to do. They get so nervous, man. And I and hundred percent don't want them to be nervous. Cause I explained to them, unlike. And, I, and I've been a part of systems where corporate people are just dicks, you know, the high ups, you know. Um, I'm like, look, man, I'm here for you. Like, you know, I'm here for you. Like, make you better. Yeah, corporate infrastructure is only there to support the field. Like, that's all it's meant to do. Yeah. Because we don't generate any money. You know, we generate zero money. We're literally overhead. And so if we're not making them better, there's no point. And I understand that. And so I try to explain that to them as best I can. I was like, look, man, I'm here for you. I promise. Now, it's really hard for them to uh, to buy that when they know I've been to places and we've had, we've had to gut them, yeah. you know, lose people. Just And that's not – you never want to do that. No, but well, to them, it's a defense mechanism. They're like, oh. Yeah, and then they get – even the ones I'm cool with, they still get nervous, you know. And so yeah. when I observe them, I try to, like, pretend like I'm not there. I get on the other side of the room and, like, pretending like I'm typing or doing something, and I'm really just kind of, like, listening in a little bit. Um, but yeah, man, it's pretty great though, because, you know, as a, you know, parasitic benefit to it, you know, I traveled to all the, in all of our locations are in major cities, big cities, fun cities, right? Yeah. There, there's times I call you and you're like, I'm in Dallas or, uh, Houston. Yeah. Atlanta, so how far, Tampa, how far West do you go? San Diego. Really? All the way yeah. West, you know, and w- being in the military, you know, you met people from all over yeah. the country and all over the world as did I. And then on top of that, you know, being in law school, there are people from all over the country there. So I've got friends in every city I go to, which is pretty great. So I just like roll into a city or I'll give them a heads up. Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to be in town. Uh, you know, this day through this day, you guys want to catch up, do dinner, grab some drinks. Yeah. Sounds good. So it's been fun. You know, it does get a little old sometimes because I'm never really at home. It's go, 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 go. You know, I'm at home two, two and a half weeks out of the month. So I pay for a house. I essentially curate. That's <laughs> so what I feel. I feel like I'm a yeah. museum curator. I just go home and like brush everything off and like wipe everything down. I'm like, yep. Uh, Trying to get in, you know, a few hours in there each week, and then you probably you have to wipe it down before you leave too, right? Yeah, I'm gross. So <laughs> um, definitely, definitely wipe it down. But um, yeah, man. So, so extensive travel. I I get that, and, and same with my and job. You, you know, you travel. Yeah. You travel. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't. I don't think you go as far west as I do, right? But I mean, you're every time I talk to you, you're coming and going like yeah. it's just you don't even have like a stable week, kind of like I have a rotation. You just you're going right where yep. the jobs are, huh? Yeah, especially during the the spring and the fall. I mean, that's when construction's at its peak. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be on the road. Yep. So um, let, let's let's circle back. Let's come full circle or half circle with this. Semicircle. Uh, yeah, semicircle. All right. Let's talk about how Phil started out. Uh, childhood um, relationship with father. Oh yeah, so uh, and mother. Um, you know, we 
grew up in you know Mobile. Um, I'm gonna throw a curveball your way. Well, yeah. Give me give me a brief background on Carl, your dad. Big Carl. Yeah, Big Carl. Um, Childhood. I know he's adopted. Yeah, adopted. You know, hard worker. I've never seen anybody that carries a responsibility and like angry, but never raises the issue of the responsibility. Like never brings it up. Pissy, bitchy. Like me and him, I, and you know, and I, I told you about like respect to my dad. Um, you know, he was tough. Like he was never good with emotions or whatever. So he's never he's he, never he complained now. about he, like he, oh, no, not, not being not adopted and, and oh, use that as no. kind of a crush. Hell yeah, no. I, I get hell that. I'm just no. I'm giving them something. To hell no. Like he uh, no he. Uh, you know, like uh, he, you know, he, he he and his brother were both adopted, right? And uh, by my grandmother, and they were actual brothers um, in the adoption place or whatever. You know, I, she got them both at the same time, but he was like a year older, so he was still like an infant there. Um, was she married at the time? Yeah, yeah. She, okay. she, I don't think she just have kids though. Um, I never really brought it up because it's probably a sensitive subject. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think when they were like early teens, like maybe eleven or twelve, she sprung it on them. That the, you know they were adopted, you know, because yeah. they. And she she's still living too, correct? Ninety three yeah, cuts her own grass, splits her own wood, hits the garden, like doesn't. She's good, dude. She volunteers to help like older people. <laughs> she does mill, you know. She still drives, <laughs> so she does meals on wheels at ninety three. Yeah. And takes care of like people who are like in their sixties and like, oh, shit, like they yeah. gotta feel like garbage. I know. When a ninety three year old lady shows up to take care of you and you're thirty years younger than her, like, but you know she exercises every day, you know she's got. We had to replace her exercise bike. She wore the bearings out in the other one. Like, <laughs> did she just stay? She and she always jokes. She's like, you know, Philip, if I uh, if I stop, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll get old. You know, if I stop moving, I'll yeah. get old. You know, that's, that's true. That's her. Uh, that's the way she approaches it. And she has a full day. She packs her day full. You know, eight to five every day. Does she, your dad have that same approach? Yeah, my, he, I mean, dad's a worker. I, mean, I know like, he's busy. He's, he's just, he stays busy. He's worked at the same factory for forty years. Yeah, I was like, he could have retired somewhere. You could retire there and retire, but he's like, he's part of that baby boomer generation where if you get a good factory job, yeah, you don't do shit. Like that's your job. You're lucky to have it. Don't you think about going anywhere else? And you keep your ass right yeah. there and you work. Put your nose down. You work your shifts. It's kind of a blind loyalty, I guess you'd yeah, say. Or I, honestly, I think he likes it. Like I, he he's comfortable with less variety. Like I differ a lot from him. And I mean, I. As I've gotten older, I've seen more similarities, like little things that he's never. He's not a risk taker. I mean, he is and he isn't. You know, yeah. like he's always rode a motorcycle. He's a he- he's got this side to him. That's true. That he's yeah, never, I forgot about the motorcycle. He never. Uh, yeah, like he used to pick me up from school. When I was like three and four, just put me on the tank of the bike. You know, <laughs> and you know he's always he had a motorcycle since he was fourteen years old. And he sticks him now, and I, he just quit riding because he got hurt, you know, and he can't really ride anymore. Yeah. That's why I got his bike now. But uh, I, mean, I grew up riding motorcycles, but he's had one since he was 14, always into hot rods and cars and stuff. But, um, and he had his brother, and, but, it, you know, my dad took the adoption thing. He's like, that's not my mom, your mom, you, you raised me. Yeah. You know, uh, I guess my uncle didn't take it as well. And just like, they were close, but, you know, they both had their issues, and things happened. My, my brother ended up, uh, Feeling kind of like a, you know, he'd get into some shit. Your uncle? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's passed away now. Uh, you know, I guess he would get into some shit. You know, he just had like some anger issues. Find himself on uh, the wrong side of a, a situation, and you know, ended up uh, 
ended up in a kind of rough situation. And from what I know, he was he was he was still young, like seventeen or eighteen, arguing with somebody he was working with. The, allegedly, the guy was trying to get him to do some like heavy drugs, and they were just smoking pot or something out by a creek. And the guy was trying to get him to do something heavy, and you know, a fight ensued. The guy tried to pull a gun. This guy was a Vietnam Marine vet, right? Yeah, uncle was a high school kid. And because he wrestled the gun away and shot him and the gun went off or whatever it was, they put him in jail and he ended up getting murdered in jail. Holy crap. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty rough. Uh, that happened when I was like probably four, five. Dang. Yeah. Where was he at? What pit? Uh, the, one, the one on uh, TV. The, oh. The locked up one. Yeah. See, you know, Yeah. One right now that's there. The one like in Atmore yeah. or whatever that's like on uh, overpopulated the Justice Department. Yeah, that, uh, that study no kidding. Out on. Yeah, that's the one. And that's on one second. Um, yeah, so that's that's where he was at, man. So, uh, and I guess he was like going out on parole or something, and the guy jacked him with Jeez. some scissors they stole from uh, like which you know workshop or something. Um, that's pretty rough. And my dad has always tried to. I think with the way it's. I don't know. Like we just like I, I I don't know if you ever seen me like my parents. I don't joke. I'm not as jovial around them. Just cause my dad was real strict with me, and like we didn't get along really till after I got back from the military. Yeah. Um, I, but his authority held over me. I'd probably be a full blown criminal. <laughs> like the two guys I grew up with that he got me away from when I went to high school and got into football and everything that he really got behind me and pushed me into. Mm. Um, be a, well, one of them turned out pretty. Well. He turned out well. He had a rough start. And the other one was in and out of prison. You know, and these guys were grip on my street. So, yeah. you know, and we were all kids together. You know, it just, yeah. and we got into a lot of nefarious uh, activities as middle schoolers, <laughs> really. They were older than me, like, uh, you know, t- I think two years older than me. Yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, that didn't affect anything. We were just riding skateboards. We were little shitheads, you know, breaking into sheds and people's yards and shit during the day in the summer. Because uh, we were, you know, what do they call them? Uh, latchkey kids. You know, back in the day, you know, when your parents, you know, your parents yeah. w- couldn't afford uh, daycare, right? So here, and you're in the third grade. Here's the house key. If you do anything fucked up, I'm gonna beat your ass. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. So there we are. Damn. You know, and so like, but it that kind of also grew into what we were talking about the other night, where it's you know, don't get caught. Yeah. You don't get caught. It's not my problem. You know. Um, but yeah, so we didn't get along well, like in the early childhood days, but he did really get behind me when I decided I wanted to do football. Um, you know, he, he was good job and all that stuff, but me and him never sat down and really had long talks and stuff. Yeah. We were never, we never had that closeness. Was it specifically football or was he just wanting you to do organized sports? Or could you have done karate and he'd still been behind you? Or I, you know, I, I mean, whatever. honestly, I, I can't, I mean, yeah, I mean, they support <laughs> nobody him. in Sims at that time was doing karate, but they yeah. were not doing karate. <laughs> They were doing uh, Kung Fu, what? Ninjitsu, like some, you know, whatever. We watched a lot of, you know, karate movies. Watched some Bruce Lee movies. Watched Kickboxer, or Kumite out there on some watermelons yeah. or something. But, uh, no. Uh, but, you know, they support, when I was skateboarding, you know, when they had that skate park, you know, they drive me up there. They yeah. pay for me to, you know, little skate park passes. Hell, they paid for a birthday party at the skate park, you know, when I was like seventh grade. So when Brandon Spee almost broke his arm. I brought a friend who didn't know how to skateboard to the skate park and like put him on a quarter pipe, and that was probably a terrible <laughs> idea. And it was, and he the skateboard just shot out from underneath his ass, and he fucking ate it, just and just like, Ooh. 
and peace. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So we didn't, uh, like I said, we didn't, you know, he was a good dad in the way he looked out for me, was responsible, you know, wasn't, you know, worked, made sure I was taken care of and always supported me, you know. But he also had that Nick Saban mentality a lot with things. It was, uh, you know, I'd show up with, like, my grades, and if it was, like, a B in something, or, like, A's, I'd say I had straight A's. He'd be like, and I'm like, oh, I got straight A's. Like, you think you weren't supposed to get straight A's? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was the, it was a good job. It was. You don't get a trophy for doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to succeed. <laughs> do you think you weren't supposed to succeed? Yeah. It was that, you know, which it it works for, uh, you know, yeah. Alabama football, and I guess it worked on me because, I, like, every time I got, you know, I was talking to my friend Brendan about this. You know, he he always been an achiever, you know, always done yeah. stuff. And I, we both talked about it. He does something I do when I exercise, and he does the same thing. We both kind of laughed. We were talking about running. You know, when you're running, it like you're running. I love running outside. And so when I'm running and I see a big hill coming up, I just kind of lean into it and I run faster. Like I don't, I don't walk. I don't like when I, I see that hill. I'm like, fuck that hill. Yeah. Like fuck that hill. You know, I lean into it and just go as fast and as hard as I can, and I don't stop. If I get to the top and I have to stop, then that's fine. But when that obstacle pops up, I like to lean into it, and yeah. that struggle gives me like it energizes me. Yeah. It's when I'm alone, and it's like when it's just a flat ground. I just like the thump, the you know, just well, yeah. So I, when I very similar to me, I, when I see the hill too, I say the same thing, except it's like, oh God, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I actually slow down, but I can take on more hills that way. But it's 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 just yeah. And, that, and dude, trust <laughs> me that that uh that mentality does not always serve me the best because I, you know, I've definitely bitten off more than I could chew. Mm on several occasions like you know like in the military right you know like we were talking about that it'd be a good opportunity so you know we going growing in sims you know you were you were a little more ingrained into the alabama kind of country country situation i was like you know you hunted and mm -hmm. fished more than i did and you know you grew up that way and like me and those two friends i told you about like we we're all into rock music playing music and riding skateboard and we wanted to surf but didn't drive yet to the beach but i mean that was you know we're always just into that kind of lifestyle, and, uh, and well, so I think so I, go ahead. Where I think that differs is I grew up on a, in a very isolated environment. My parents we yeah, lived you grew up in the woods. Yeah, we didn't, have, we didn't neighbors for twenty miles. Yeah, I mean it was nothing. People thought we were crazy for moving out there. Versus yeah. you growing up in a neighborhood. The only time I got that environment was when I went and stayed with my my cousins. Oh, I hated the uh, suburbs, man. Was, yeah, but I hated the suburbs. And I got so I was like, whoa, what is this? There's other people to play with. Yeah. Whoa, get we get next door. We could do mischievously. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, before you get into the military, I want to go back to your dad, and then and then high school, and then that whole transition. Um, so organized sports, you had that. Uh, you, you I guess you started seeing there's a little bit of a grow some growth with your dad and the relationships between you two yeah um what was so the deciding factor for you to go in the military because uh, i remember you were looking at like uh i think you looked at the citadel there was a i mean you had some offers from some yeah really, i mean like, like ivy league school yeah yeah I, mean, I mean I, I did well in school you know and i was in the yeah. uh, you know i did well um i didn't apply myself and I realized that I could literally just breeze through standard curriculums, not even try, and, and at the very worst, get a B. 
Yeah. I was like, I could take your test and ace it, but all your stupid homework and tests, like <laughs> BS work, I'm just not going to do. You, you know, because I, I didn't like, I didn't care enough. And like, I didn't, I, didn't, I had no goal or no aspirations on a career at that time. I just wanted to get out of Sims, Alabama. Yeah. And like, you know, we all had a great group of friends back then, but like, I had this like urge to go explore. Well, yeah. uh, so back to your dad, do you think he was, did at any point did he try to live vicariously through you? No, or absolutely not. He could see like you were headed places and he would try to guide you into something that maybe, mm-hmm. no? Okay. No. So, so there's he, no. He, he, I mean, he was, and don't, and I say we didn't get along well. It, when I when I say that I mean, the way he knew to raise me was strict. Yeah. But if, if he wasn't strict, I'd probably been a shithead criminal or something. You know, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, was just I don't know if that's necessarily optimal, but it is what it is. I'm not mad at it. Um, and and I, I think I was just salty about it. You know, like as a kid. You know, I didn't want to have somebody st- sitting over the yeah. top of me telling me don't do shit. So don't hang out with that person in trash. Like, you know, and they're going to get you in trouble. And now I saw what happened to them and I was like, shit, he was right. You know, now hindsight. So I think it was more of my saltiness, mm-hmm. you know, to him raising me. Just kind of driving you away. Or yeah, which was driving drive me away. But like he like, you know, he was a dad first and I was a strong willed fucker. Like I was, you yeah. know. When I was, especially when I was little, you know, so I was a shithead. I got them, like, my poor parents, man. I put them through some just, shit. Just go ahead and clear the air. The the story about you in the grocery store, your dad had just been pretty rough on you. I mean, not rough. I mean, I, whatever I did, like, I got a spank. Yeah. Right? I, I got my ass tore up for something. And it made and, you mad. Uh, it made me mad. And I'm talking like a five-year-old. I think yeah. I was probably five. Now, I was really intelligent as a little kid, and I knew exactly what I was doing. Like, I had DHR called to my parents when I was three in pre-K, because I was trying to get out of getting bad, you know, teacher notes. So I told the teacher, you can't give me more bad notes because if you do, my parents will keep beating me and choking me. And so, which was complete bullshit. At three years old. Yeah. So I was three. So I knew, I knew like if I told them this in my head, I didn't realize the consequences. That and, would and for the people listening, I've, I've verified all this. This is all yeah. stories that yeah. come up when I'm at the yeah, Pecan my, my, household. Yeah, they, they're still traumatized. <laughs> they are. They're still fucking traumatized, man. So, you know. Mm. Shit like that. And so my dad gave me a whipping for whatever reason, and we go to the store, and uh, we get back, and I, was, and I was you know, I was still pissed. Steaming. Still steaming. Like, I, I, w- I wasn't letting that shit go. We got back, and I knew. Like, I don't, I don't know how I knew it would affect my mother in an adverse way, maybe something I saw on TV. I was just like, hey, Mom, who was that lady dad was kissing at the store? Oh. And, dude, she still has a little, like... <laughs> I think she's suspicion. got she's got like a little hair of a suspicion. Like, was he bullshitting? <laughs> you know, like I mean, I was like, you get me, I'm gonna get you back. I, yeah. I, I tore up his his can- uh, probably around the same age. I was being a shithead on Christmas Christmas Day morning over at my grandparents, and he had just got a new camper topper on the back of his truck. Yeah, and like I got my butt tore up for something. Went outside, climbed my little ass in the back of his truck, and took his claw hammer and just carved up the windows in his new camper oh. thing. And, like, I can almost remember, uh, you know, him. You didn't get that? Yeah. Go ahead. Did you hear that? Yep. Um, so I'll just keep on this story till you get back. Uh, so Evan has to go do some dad stuff. I don't know if we told you, but obviously this uh, studio is in the uh, the corner of his garage. And the... Uh, Evan's wife is at the store, or I think she's at like maybe a church meeting or something. And uh, so he's got the kiddos. They're down. He's got a monitor on them. But uh, 
His daughter's pretty good at sneaking about. Um, yeah, so I'm going to finish that story because Evan's heard it probably a bunch of times from uh, from my parents. Um, where was I at with it? Oh, yeah, claw hammer, tearing up my dad's truck. Um, and then, you know, the whole kissing story with mom's door and all that, you know, trying to get my dad in trouble, trying to get even with him. If you could imagine that same kind of uh, just that grit, that bite down, like even at a young age, that fuck you some people have in them. Like, you can't tell me the stove is hot. I got to touch it. And if you pop my hand away, I'm just going to like, you know, I, I didn't respond well to the strictness. I got like now with my own kids, I try to coach them a little like I've, I've taken a different approach, you know, um, just because my son has a lot of me in him. I don't have to deal with that with my daughter, but my son has he's just like me. So, um, you know, trying to trying corporal punishment to uh, make him understand things or make him follow, uh, you know, rules or guidelines to keep him safe. And, you know, what you think is the right way. I, I don't go that road um, just because, you know, I know it didn't work for me. And when he was little. Um, I saw it really wasn't working for him, so you know I just I uh, I evolved from little swats on his butt to uh, to holding like going into the corner with him. So we go time out, and I'd actually instead of giving it an arbitrary time, I'd say, "All right, we got two minutes," and uh, I'd sit there with him because he wouldn't just sit there by himself. I mean, even at like four, five years old, he wouldn't sit there by himself. So I'd go in the corner with him, and uh, I'd have to hold him there and just you know hold his little ass he's fussing fighting and you know i'm not i'm just keeping him there i'm just letting him know like i'm a bigger creature than you i'm in charge of you this is what we're doing because you can't behave and uh you know i try to use that as he's gotten older you know he, he he's really good now like he's definitely turned a corner um he's got a lot of that uh he loves to laugh and he's kind of mischievous like me you know my friends always say i've got like a shit-eating grin a lot of times before i do something silly or uh, not very adult-like and uh, he definitely has that same grin um, I got called by his school when uh, he thought a good prank would be to you know they put these little kids in a line and they walk to the uh, to the water fountains and they're supposed to get the water you know drink get a drink water before they go back to class and they sit at their little you know activity tables in their kindergarten classes and uh from what I understand, he had pretended like he drank the water, but he did not, in fact, drink the water. And he had uh, kept it in his mouth and it just didn't talk. and just had his mouth, you know, like a bubble. And uh, he proceeded to go back to class with the rest of the students, sits down at his desk. And then it, because, you know, when I talked to him after the fact, he thought it would be super funny. He didn't think about, obviously, he's a little short-sighted being a five-year-old not knowing the impact, how much trouble he was going to get into, nor how upset he would make the other kid when he leaned back and turned uh, his face into a water fountain and spit a arc of water onto the child across from him. Yeah, so apparently he was laughing, the teacher lost her mind, and, you know, principal, the whole deal. Um, you know, so he's as mischievous as I was about the same age. I mean, just too clever for his own good and enjoys a good time you know more than the average bear um i remember i took my daughter and him to uh to spring break a, last year the year before which means he was five and uh, i let you know i let them 
play with my phone, you know, they have got games on there or whatever, and they had got up before I did. And it was just me and those two, and like it always is, just the three of us. And uh, so we're down at the beach uh, for spring break. Shout out to uh, my friend Brendan for letting us uh, use his condo. It's very, very nice of him. Um, so I wake up, and my daughter's laughing. She's like, Daddy, Liam's on your phone. I'm like, what do you mean he's on my phone? How did he get on my phone? My phone is obviously, you know, it's fingerprint locked. And just like in that, uh, you know, that commercial with, you know, the girlfriend trying to get her boyfriend into her boyfriend's phone and he like used his toe. Well, my son had at five recognized that my thumbprint was how he unlocked the phone. So when I was asleep, he carefully took my hand and put my thumb on the phone. So, I mean, that's the level of mischievousness, mischievousness, you know, I've been dealing with with him. And that's kind of where my parents were at in dealing with, uh, you know, my shenanigans. And with that, they, uh, you know, I put them through quite a bit with that. And I just, you know, always in trouble in uh, elementary school for talking and yapping. Um, and then, and that continued a little bit through a little, le- you know, just like my son, it's just getting less and less as, you know, the discipline started finally setting in. And, uh, you know, and I started hanging out with a rough crowd in middle school who were older than me. And then, you know, I don't know what it, what it was, what was the turning point. But, you know, in high school, I tried out with the football team, never played football, and ended up, you know, getting into an organized sport, which was really healthy for me uh, in developing as a young man, um, you know, building discipline, uh, the perks of being a high school football player in the South also were not terrible. Um, it, it made for a good time, made great friends, you know, um, yeah, and that's where me and Evan, you know, met each other, I think freshman year, eighth grade or something like that. And then, uh, you know, in high school, none, so let me just say, no, I'm the only person in my immediate family to go to college, right? Uh, most of them chose to work or jobs or some of them didn't finish high school. Maybe they did GAD, GEDs or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. You still make, you can make a lot of money in construction or doing whatever you want. Um, but I didn't have a, a, uh, anybody that had walked that path before me that I could really rely on. So I was kind of winging it. And, um, and you know, like, as I had said with Evan, I didn't really give a shit enough about my grades or like my future per se I was more concerned with having fun and being adventurous and getting out and seeing the world so even though I you know I had scholarship offers coming in for you know academics and one you know I think I won really shitty school that wanted me to come play football which was terrible because I was which is dumb because I was a bad football player um you know I chose not to go that route I just wanted the fastest the absolute fastest way out of uh out of my hometown and my junior year my a recruiter approached me um and he had you know i took the asvab actually i I was trying to talk to a girl who wanted to go in the military and she said well i'm taking the asvab test i don't have time to fool with you and i'm like cool i'll take the asvab test with you and she's like you know why i was like it's just a test i do good at tests she's like you're not gonna do good on this test like whatever i take the asvab and i score really well on it and uh, so I guess that's how the recruiter got my info. So I think when I was 17 or so, the cr- or 16 or 17, the recruiter had my info, contacted me, 
um, met with me and my fa- my parents about you know joining the military after high school in the army um, as an enlisted person you know, foregoing college for the moment and like after talking to him I realized that was the fastest way out of Dodge right um, you know he was like you know I was going into my junior summer in his senior year and he had explained to me that you know I could join the reserves right now as a 17 year old um, with my parents permission and uh, they would help me sign the contract and um, I could join the reserves right now and then go into uh, the reserves and just drill on the weekends like I was a reservist even not even having gone to basic training or AIT or any of those aspects just being enlisted and then have a delayed entry on the basic and everything for the next summer but he the recruiter was kind of shady in the way that like he didn't tell the reserve unit that I had plans of going active duty. So for the my se- whole senior year of high school, I was drilling, you know, one week at a month with this reserve unit. Had no idea what the military is about. They were kind of teaching me on the fly, got me some BDUs. I mean, I, hindsight, I can't believe they let people do that, but they did. Um, and I thought I was hot shit because I was in the military and in high school, and so people thought that was kind of a big deal. Um, I know I did, and I acted like it was, even though – I realized it didn't mean shit. And um, and as we talked about with Evan in the, the previous episode, you know, I definitely exploited the fact that I was in the military to uh, gain certain liberties with uh, store clerks at liquor stores or at gas stations for beer. Um, hell, even some of my friends who had already graduated high school that weren't 21 yet, I was buying alcohol for them. Um probably helped that I have the five head you know I have this big forehead you've seen on the other videos it looks like my hair is running away from my face but it's actually just a massive forehead I've had it my whole life and uh and you shouldn't make fun of it if you are um like I said my old roommate was a male model and now he's bald because he made fun of my hair so you know get your ha-has in at your own uh at your own risk oh Luke had decided to join us to get back. All right. So, uh, uh, here in a minute. Oh, actually, yeah, go ahead. Crack me one. Um, so, I'll catch Evan up to where we are. Evan, we have gone through high school. We have laid out those childhood stories. I have explained how I ended up taking the ASVAB um, in high school and met the recruiter who got me into the reserve unit. Um junior year which allowed me to be in the army technically my, our senior year delicious um, and um, through that I exploited my pseudo military pre you know graduation career by you know using my green reserve ID to get us alcohol and everybody else alcohol and you know being a kind of a dirt bag about it but what do you expect from a 17 year old so there you go um i was just saying that you know i can't believe they actually let kids do that it's mm. a terrible idea i'm proof um uh, but we didn't die so there's that yeah. and uh early stage brain cells but yeah yeah for sure not the best move um and then uh so i'm kind of leading into leaving for the military right now so um, like I explained, you know, the fastest way out was enlisting with the Army. 
after talking to the recruiter. And, uh, you know, how many different branches did you look into? Uh, I looked at the, the Navy had a, there was going to go to an ROTC scholarship mm-hmm. and I wanted to go to, uh, I wanted to get as far away. I wanted to go to UCLA. I was like, oh, yeah, they had a great program out there. And I was like, uh, but then like the army guy was, and that was like, it was iffy. I had to do all this extra like work. I, you know, I'm not, wasn't in yeah. the work. So I was like, <laughs> fuck it. I was like, army guy. What do I got to do? He's like, you got to do shit. You sign this paperwork, dog. We'll put you on a bus out of here. Now, probably three or four days after we graduated, I was on that bus, right? I was gone. Yeah, it was pretty quick. It was less than a week. Um, so less than a week, I'm on a bus out of Mobile, Alabama to the MEP station in Montgomery, you know, and uh, military entrance processing station. And then from there, I got bussed over to Fort Benning. Now, the significance of the bus is that, you know, I my parents weren't, uh, you know, we weren't super wealthy, we weren't poor, you know, they worked hard, but, you know, we were middle, middle class, maybe lower middle class, whatever you want to call it. Um, but we never, I mean, we took vacations to the beach and stuff, my parents worked, but we never had a vacation anywhere where we flew, right? Yeah. So, it, until, you know, I, I haven't been on the airplane at this juncture yet, so. Really? Yeah. So never, never, nothing. Why, how would I have been? We never took a vacation anywhere. Yeah. I didn't have any money, so I didn't. T- I never jet set it in high school or middle school. So, um, by the time I get to airborne school, I've still never been on an airplane. Uh, well, actually, you know, I totally skipped over how I got into the Ranger thing, which is really stupid. Yeah, no, 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 we're not there yet. Go back. I'm not. We're yeah. gonna, we're not going to short circuit that. I got well, a lot of. I laid out a lot. I laid up everything to go yeah, into yeah. the military. Okay. So, you go to basic training, and at this point. My contract had me set up to, you know, oh, so let me say, so I talked about the ASVAB. So I scored high on the ASVAB, right? Mm-hmm. Scored like 92 or something. Oh, yeah. I guess those recruit, recruiters yeah, juiced. They, 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 like, oh. Yeah, so it gets them all wet. It gets them all wet in their mantis. You think they get a bonus for yeah, kids? Yeah, they do. That, they have, okay. Well, they have quotas. For kids that score higher on the, like, for oh, different no, career fields? No, it's or not that. It's just easier to get them in. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah, you. They're, they're, okay. they're, they're shoe-ins if yeah. you can sell them on it. Um, so man, you can do whatever you want, you know. And then I get to Meps for my, <laughs> which this is always good. So before I get to Meps, we're going over like my medical history to make sure I don't have any disqualifiers. Yep. And you know, I did relate to him at this point. You know, I am colorblind. He's like, oh shit. He's like, all right, man. So you can still go in the military being colorblind, and this is right after nine eleven. So they're taking, they're doing the, you know, the does your breath fog up a mirror test yeah. to get people in, but getting the job you want and all that stuff, that's where that came into question. He's like, look, they're going to put you in an admin role unless you can bullshit the colorblind test. And I was like, all right, let's get, let's give it a shot. He's like, look, they don't know what your medical, re- what's in your medical records unless you tell them. Like there's not some like super organized HR system over the entire country where they can just pull all your medical records. It doesn't work that way. Right. So I go through all the uh, medical, you know, yeah. the, the medical procedures and they finally get to the vision and they knew I had, you know, contacts or whatever glasses at the time. But then they'd give me the little colorblind test, which is those cards with the bubbles in yep. a slightly different shade of color, maybe some number or something. And they're like, all right, uh, what do you see here? And I'm like, 12. And they're like, three? I was like, oh, really? Uh, let me let me do another one, you know? And uh, so we go on down that line. They're like, what about this one? I'm like, seven. They're like, 22 shit uh or triangle or something just <laughs> fucking not even close they're like you didn't know you were colorblind did you lie on your app i was like no what absolutely not no 
I gotta call my mom. This is serious. I can't see. You know, they're <laughs> like, they're like, they knew I was full of shit, but they didn't have any. They, you can't say I'm lying. So, um, so they restricted me to an admin role, and that's how they got me that paralegal job. Yeah. So it's the highest qualified job. What were you they, wanting to do initially going in? Honestly, I don't even remember. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember. Like, I, I think I was. I, was it anything cooler than a ranger? Was it like you didn't? Well, I, I didn't start out with a ranger thing. I yeah. remember, like, I had no aspirations of combat. Right. I was doing yeah. it just to get the fuck out. Like, I wanted to go to Germany. Like, that was the thing I said. I'm not yeah. signing a contract unless you can put Germany on there. Like, I want to go to Europe and party my dick off and explore Europe. That's what I wanted to do. I was fucking want to do that. Wow. And uh, so we got it, right? So if you fulfill all your contract requirements, you're guaranteed to get that a slot, right? Or you, you pick three. You yeah, pick three dream dealers. Sheet. Yeah, your dream sheet. So that was the goal. And then I remember going to basic, and, you know, it was cool. I got really into it. Like, it clicked me back into that organized sports mentality because I yeah. ended up going to Fort Benning. Even though I had, I had a soft skill job, they sent me to the home of the infantry, I guess, because it was closest, whatever. You know. That's where you did basic? That's where I did basic. That's home of the infantry. And uh, so I go through basic training with all these, like, you know, just guys, no females. And I was super back. I just snapped back into, like, organized sports and just – camaraderie and all this kind of shit and then uh then they shipped me up for uh ait which is advanced individual training after i graduate basic which was in fort jackson which was still a bus you know and uh i remember in basic though i watched a movie called basic yeah yeah i remember with john travolta maybe one of the cheesiest and i don't even think they had a military advisor on that fucking movie other than like john travolta they went to like an army navy store and bought like uniforms. That's about yeah. as far as they went. Um, but I remember like the underlying premise, and I'd seen Black Hawk Down. And I knew about the Rangers from that, but I just thought the coolest fucking thing I'd ever seen was when Travolta was like interviewing this guy, this like spook unit, and it was all hardcore. And the guy, you know, John Travolta bet the uh, the chick that he could get the guy to talk without even him saying a word. And he goes in, the guy's like, fuck you, man, I'm not talking to you. And he just takes his sleeve and rolls it up, and he had a big ranger scroll on his forearm. And the guy just sat back down, and he's like, all right, man. And he looked at the window because, you know, he won his bet. And I was like, that's fucking badass. And so they just talked, you know, just hyped up the whole ranger. I just thought it was the coolest thing to where, like, you just had that instant credibility with hard motherfuckers just by showing them, like, what you belong to. And I was like, I want to do that. And I didn't know there was any possible way for me to do that because I had been told, <coughs> because I was colorblind, yeah. I was restricted to an admin role, right? Well, fast forward to Fort Jackson, rolling through, and by the way, and no offense to women in the military, nothing against you, but it's it was like summer camp. It was like co-ed summer camp. Everybody was treated with kitty gloves. Everybody was a baby and whining. It sucked. It sucked really bad. And not every... And it just you know, so I w- from Benning to Jackson, this I was just totally like, different. Yeah, they call it relaxing Jackson. I went yeah. from Sand Hill, you know, home of the infantry, to a place they literally call relaxing Jackson. Yeah, yeah so I got you. I was just like, gross. I do not want to fucking do this, man. And then out of nowhere, just by the good luck, you know. Um, so the Ranger units back then, they didn't have these like uh, attachment companies that they have now. These support companies. Yeah. The way they did it, like, and if you've seen Black Hawk Down, like, Ewan McGregor's character, he, you know, he's like, well, you type? How do ra- I don't know rangers type? He's like, well, I ranger and I type. And, you know, he gets ends up being, like, in the firefight and all this. The whole idea was instead of having an attachment company with kind of outsiders that didn't hadn't been through the, the crucible with you, yeah. you take some soft-skill dudes 
who are badasses and just ended up in soft skill thing. You know, you go try to recruit some dudes to be rangers from those soft skills, and then now you've got dudes who are secondary. Yeah, rangers. you got a full, full self-supporting unit at that. Dude, point. our cooks at the. I think when I was going through rip, and I don't know if it was bullshit. They said the cooks in third bat had the highest, uh, you know, kill count. <laughs> you know, on deployment because you know they weren't cooking overseas and fucking yeah. rangering up. Um, you know, so a bunch of rangers. You know, the ranger from ranger recruits from. Uh, HQ came down to recruit because they needed legal dudes. And so if there's any of you, you know, paralegal specialists, these 27 Deltas, that, you know, they have to be men. And if you think you want to go, and I had above perfect on my PT score at the time, you know, and I was just, like, unhappy with the co-ed situation. Yeah. Um, and I was just looking for something more intense. And I was just like, oh, man, my dreams have been answered, you know. So they go show us this video of dudes repelling down walls, all this G.I. Joe shit. And I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I'm in. And they're like, oh, yeah, our, your, uh, you know, your company commander told us about you. said you're good at PT. You're squared away. But uh, And I was like, yeah, but I'm colorblind. They're like, color's a stop sign. I was like, red? They're like, color's the go light. Green? Cool. Here's your waiver. <laughs> like, and, that's, and that's what it was. Because they're e each there's only three Ranger battalions, and each one only has one paralegal specialist. Well, some of them – the, so other than the movie Basic, did you know kind of the history of the Rangers? I didn't know the history. Okay. I, I had All seen right. Black Hawk Down. Just, yeah. And I just, like, just seeing that, uh, like, I, I knew, like, if you don't know about war, I mean, it's still a very intense movie. And I, obviously, as a teenager, I couldn't wrap my head around the, gra I, yeah, the gravity of war at the time, right? Black Hawk Down? Yeah. I mean, yeah, dude. Uh, so. It's, it's so intense now. And, and now very it, 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 hits, it hits me very differently now because I, under, I I've met some of those guys, you yeah. know? So, um. Yeah, so they're like, dude, we can get you a waiver. Don't worry about that shit. So we'll get you down to Airborne School. Then you'll go to uh, RIP, which was you know Ranger Selection. Back, and it was the, by the way, I got the last three week RIP class. Now it's this big long thing. It's on the Discovery Channel, and it's and the class we had was just a just a nut grinder. But so they bust me back from Columbia, South Carolina, back to Fort Benning to Airborne School, and they line us all up. Now I so we're from Benning to Jackson, back to Benning, back to Benning. Yeah, I gotcha. It all buses, right? So yeah. I still haven't been on an airplane. <laughs> So I'm at Airborne School now, and they got everybody on these bleachers. The Airborne School is the easiest school in the Army. They're the first ones to tell you. It's three weeks long. You start the class with 500 people. So but before you go to any deeper into this, so, so you have different aspects of the Army. And I am I struggle with this sometimes, or at least I did, because I was in the Air Force, and, and everybody thinks people in the Air Force, they, they fly planes. Well, no, they didn't let me anywhere near a plane. But So there's different aspects. So people can go into the Army. They can be infantry. They can also go to airborne school. Oh, man. Dude, there, so, there's every job you got in the civilian world, they got in the yeah. Army. AC repairman, right. TV repairman. Like, and anybody I mean, can go and be airborne, right? No. no I mean, it has to be a slot for it. Or I you're an you. airborne unit. Yeah. Right? So it's there is either a slot and your unit has slots they can send you in, or you're in an airborne unit. So airborne is a, it's, it's based on the needs of your unit, essentially. Right? So... Um, so to get this ranger contract, I got you know I had to go to Airborne obviously because Airborne Rangers, yep, right? Yep. So get down there, they put us all up in these bleachers. They're like, all right, we know there's some hillbilly Amish fucker out here who ain't never been in an airplane. We'll find out. And I know it's a it's a ploy by the Black Hats, that's the cadre, to uh, to get some ignorant fool who doesn't know any better that there's no possible way for them to know if you've ever been on an airplane to raise your hand. And so me and literally an Amish guy raise our hands like. <laughs> You know, I don't know how he got there. Maybe Ishmael. Horse yeah, Ishmael. McCarn. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, I got to go milk the cows first, Soren. Yeah. 
Um, so they're like, you will be the first guy out the door in your stick. And that's what they call it. So, yeah, man. Uh, first time up in a plane, you know, I'm going to go through the details of airborne being here all night, but first time up in a plane, I was sitting there with the door open and then the next, you know, static line, sta- you know, static line jumps, you know, and yeah, I just, first plane ride, I was out. So the first seven times, so I got back to my unit and flew two more times. What, what was it like getting on the plane knowing that you've ever been on one? Like, it was just weird, man. It was just odd. Like your brain can't be like, if you're scared at a hundred feet, you're not any more scared at 1500 feet. Right. You're, you're there's not levels, right? Yeah. You're scared shitless. You're scared shitless. That's right. But like you got to be able to compartmentalize that. Right, so you just put it in a box, set it over here, and move forward. And uh, you know, so flew, did that, did airborne, and then made it, and then fucking, dude, rip cadre come down there and rip selections down the hill, yeah, just up the hill from uh, airborne, and they come and just rip your ass apart. And that was a what was a rip? What was that? Ranger indoctrination program? Okay. Um, we went through that in December of. And the cadres themselves are they rangers as yeah, well? Yeah, so or? it's a rotation. So once a. Uh, E5, or if an E6 wants yeah. to go to E7 or something like that, in Ranger Bat, they got to rotate in to rip Similar cadre. to BUDS and all that yeah, yeah, yeah. special it's assignment, the, special the guys train, you're, you're training dudes who will be in your unit. Yeah, I got you. Right? So to progress in the unit, you got to go out and train new dudes. It's part of the deal. And you know who's going to know better. Yeah. Right? And we started, and rip pending was huge. It was several hundred people, you know, and we ended up being culled down to uh, to graduating 42. So the attrition rates, I mean. Over three weeks. And you got to think, all these people have already been through basic and all their yeah. in- training, all their individual training plus airborne school, and it got culled down to 42 on graduation day. I had immersion foot. My foot was splitting open. You know, I had blood pouring through my jungle boots. Like, I got to have feeling in my foot for like a month. Yeah, it was tough, man. It was raining and it was cold. I remember low crawling through a puddle because the ground's still a little bit warmer in the south. You don't really get that snow. So it's raining. It's below freezing. But the ground's still warm, so the puddles on the ground haven't quite frozen over. So they're making us low crawl through these puddles. And I remember going in the puddle, and it was warmer than the air temp. And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. Because when I came up out of the puddle, I was like, oh, yeah. shit, you know. And it w- we would be in formation when they were, cadre weren't looking. We'd like to put our hands in our pockets because we weren't allowed to wear winter winter weather gear. So we're wearing summer BDUs with a T-shirt, yeah. no undies, and just boots. or so freezing our dicks off. And uh, so they made us sew our pockets shut, <laughs> which was sad. My mom <laughs> cried when she saw that. Like, when I was done with everything and I came back home, washed my stuff before I got ready to move out to my unit, you know, she was like, she's washing my clothes for me. And uh, she got my BDUs. She goes, what's going on with your pockets? And I was like, they're sewed shut. Your pockets? What? Who, who sewed? We had to sew them. Why? We were cold, and we were putting our hands in our pockets too much, and so the cadre made us so much. Oh, that g- grips mama's heartstrings. Dude, right it there. got her. She's like, yeah. that's so mean. <laughs> oh, my baby. You know? Yeah, my, my baby. baby. <laughs> and so, you know, we move up to, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and at this point, you know, parents are super proud of me and, and, you know, just doing the military thing, get up to my unit in Seattle. So, wait a minute, back up. So the guys you were in RIP school or in – RIP with, yeah. RIP, rip with, right. Um, those guys being such an elite unit within the army, th- how many of those guys do you think you remain friends with? And then I'm still close. I'm still close with a lot of them. Well, you know? So from Rip, and then the guys you were stationed with. All yeah, the I'm, world. I'm friends with we're friends with a lot of those guys, man. Because like str- like struggle anything. But it's a small community. Oh, it's inc- I think we're the smallest special yeah. ops unit. So then you see, you know, there's like eight thousand active Navy SEALs. There's only like two or three thousand Rangers. Yeah. Put it that way. There's like fifteen thousand Green Berets. 
So really? Yeah, it's huge. They've got like a I didn't know there was that many Navy SEALs. Oh, there's a shit ton. They have a ton of teams, dude. They're all yeah. over the place. There's only one, you know, not all of them are, you know, dev group, which is, you know, still team six. Yeah, yeah. You know, the rest of them, are, you know, they're, they're operators, but they're not, it's not like that. Um, and we're not hot shit. We're not heavy intel. Like, we're we're the legwork. You know, we're the grunt work. We're the door kickers. Yeah. It's, you know, if you remember Black Hawk Down, like, you know, he was talking, the captain for the Rangers were talking to the Delta guy who was being kind oh, of yeah. snotty. He's like, yeah, yeah you, may, you guys may think you're hot shit, but. When the game's on the line, you need our running backs. You need our Rangers to get you in there, right? My finger is the safety. Yeah. I remember oh, that. Who? Yeah. 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 Got my safety right here, boss. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I you, you shit. I went through Rip in 03, and you went with me in uh, 2013 to uh, that summer out to visit Brandon. Yeah. Who went through Rip with me. Yeah. So, a decade later... And I've been out in the Army since 05, yeah. you know, the very end of 05. You went with me to Texas to visit one of the guys I went yeah, through that no, training I, with. So you, and you see how close we are. Like we, you know, the bond, the camaraderie, all that. I'm just, yeah. for, I guess what I was saying was to kind of measure it was you graduate RIP or get out of RIP, you, 45 of you, still, even all over the world, it's still a small community. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, only, there's only three You three still battalions. see those guys within – Within the army, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, I, I follow them with social media, which which is why social media has been great for stuff like that because yeah. you can't keep track of all these people, and guys, your people you're close with in the unit, like you know my friend John, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm sure I've told you stories about Gendron, but he, uh, you know, we became buddies, man. You know, just clicked really well together, and you know, his wife was great. Like, you know, he was one of the few one of us that were married, so we'd all pile up over at their house on holidays. You know. I, I was making less than a thousand dollars a month. You know, I was yeah. at E3. I can't fly home on holidays. My parents didn't have money to fly out and see me, and so and that, all of us were in that position. We're all junior enlisted dudes with no damn money, so we can't go see our families. So the friends of ours who were married at incredibly young ages, we pile up over it there. Became little, your family. Yeah, yeah they became our family. Yeah. Just extended family. So Christmas, like they put their kids down to sleep, <laughs> and we would just raise hell. You know, we've had some very interesting pictures from those days. It was, it was a lot of fun, man. We all really close. Who sharpied my kid's face? Yeah, no. Speak up, and w- dude. <laughs> what one of the kids? Like I think Peyton was probably three or four when I when I first started hanging out with John and his wife, and like he just gradu- he's graduating college, not college, but uh, high school this year. Get ready to play. He's playing uh, college ball. Oh man, it's crazy. I'm like, damn, dude. We used to take him to, like Mariners games when he was. A, we, yeah, <laughs> we, we, would t- we would totally peddle his little cute son. To uh to get us better seats. Oh yeah. So we buy like, cheap nosebleed seats at the Mariners games, and then we would like hang out around like that lower deck by like the first baseline where the little usher is. Yeah. He's like, they're like, is that that little guy with you? We're like, yeah. <laughs> Bring him on down here. Yes, come on down. I got some seats down here. Come on. And, you know, let us get down there, which is always really cool. Um, but yeah. So ended up being the legal guy for battalion. Um, there in Ranger Bat, and you know. So this I, is in Seattle. Yeah, and I, you know, she so left Rip, Seattle had had some leave at home, all that good stuff, and I think we saw each other between then. But so from from Rip to Seattle, um, how long was it before you deployed? Three months. No, I, was, I was going to say it was a really quick. Well, it's turnaround. crazy, you know, because like I remember in basic training, I'd heard about Pat Tillman, you know, the NFL yeah. star that gave it all up to go be a ranger in the army, and he was like, you know, the poster boy for the army back then. And then when you you know when you get to a new unit you get to that base you actually don't go straight to your unit you go to like a reception hall yeah where they get all your paperwork set up yeah. and get you all you know set up and then a couple of days later you'll actually push down to your unit 
And so I got there with Brandon and with Derek and my other Ranger buddies, uh, getting ready to go to second bat. And you want to get your BDU sharp. You want to look sharp that first day. It was your uniform. Yeah. So you go over to the uh, the cleaners across the way in Tillicompton, but it was Tillicum. And uh, I'm at the place getting my BDUs or whatever, and I see this, like, pretty jacked dude, like, shaved head, you know, getting his BDUs in front of me. I see the ranger scrolled. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, because I have this, like, fear of, like, any, like, rangers higher ranking than me because I've been getting my ass smoked for the last three weeks. And uh, I see the name tape, and it's Tillman. So this is the first ranger I actually met in my unit was Pat Tillman. Because I knew Pat was in second bat. Yeah. And uh, I was like, holy shit. And I just get like, even though I didn't want to say something, it just instinctively like fanboyed out. It was like, holy shit, you're Pat Tillman. And he turned around and goes, oh, what's up, man? I was like, hey, man, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. And I, was, I was like, sorry, Corporal. He's like, no, fucking relax, dude. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I was like, you know. You're still gun shy. Uh, yeah, yeah for like, sure. You know. And uh, he's like, no, dude, what's up? I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm at reception. You know, I'm getting ready to come down to second bat. You know, and all this stuff. He's like, oh, man, just was super cool and cordial just you know said what's up it's like dude, you're gonna you know, enjoy it we're just we're solid unit we're tight just get ready to go get some you know just just pep talk kind of shit and uh, he's the first guy i met you know and then my first deployment's when he got killed i'm gonna start wearing him here you know him and you know Stalin. yeah so i've i've seen you wear that and i asked you a few times but so the the band you wear on your arm that's that's a you know it's a KIA bracelet so it's got pat on there and stall who is you know with our class that went through, get to rip, you know, get to second bat. And he was, you know, same age as me. Yeah. You know, and he got hit an IED, killed later that year, and uh, actually in September. Yeah, September. And uh, mm. um, it was just, you know, I wear these guys, just reminds me, you know, like, yeah. do good, do better. Yeah. You know, um, and there, you know. So, so to frame this all up, from the time you joined, we got to basic until reception how, how what how big of a time frame is that it's that's pretty quick it's less than a year oh it's less than a year dude I, less than a year so before so before the spring break of the like if i'd failed school yeah like the like the, the spring break of high school the next year after i graduated hadn't even came yet before i was in afghanistan yeah and so i'll never forget being like in afghanistan like in these mountains and then back in afghanistan back in then was just Hesco Walls, Bagram oh, Airfield. Dude. There was no structure. It was just the Wild JSON, West, right? Yeah. yeah, just it was a it was a private spec ops war. That was it. There was nobody there. Um, it was just us. Right? So hold on before you, before you go into that. So you you got to reception Seattle, which was Fort uh, Lewis. Lewis. Um, it's now Lewis McCord. Lewis McCord, yeah. yeah. Air Force Base Joint. What is it? Just Joint Lewis yeah. McCord Base, yeah. Air Force and Army. So you get there. You you see Tillman, you're at reception, you get in your barracks, you got your guys there, you get orders to go to Afghanistan. It doesn't work like that. No. Like, uh not not in the not in our unit. Like we just, you know you get down there and you just keep your head down as a new dude and you just get told what's up. It's like, hey man, uh our rotation's coming up or we're doing a surge or something like that and you just they you know that been doled out like it's your turn to go or yeah. they're trying or like the greater strategy is they're expecting just one unit over there right now so we're going to surge them and try to get this like you know list of killer capture you know shitheads and uh, it was interesting though because you know we we're talking about this from a dad's perspective not like my history um you know my parents were proud and everything they still didn't kind of know what i did because none of my family had been in the military and uh and you know, back then, OPSEC was pretty tight. The war was still very new, you know, and they just yeah. knew everything had to keep a tight lid. 
So, like, you couldn't really tell your family you were going. We just right. had, like, codes, like, oh, we're going on vacation or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, communication overseas, like we were talking about, you know, you couldn't really, it, it, you know, you had the one sat phone situation, so it was pretty wild. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, when my friends who were a year younger than me in high school were getting ready to go to, you know, to Gulf Shores for spring break, I was, you know, working with my unit, you know, trying to find terrorists on the other side of the planet. I was like, man, it's fucking wild. Because it's a yeah. straight flight, right? So they we get it on a bird from Lewis, 26-hour flight. You refuel over Germany, uh, freeze your dick off of that plane because it's not all your gears in there, all your Humvees and all your shit. So there's no seats. There's, like, the little jumper seats on the side. Oh, yeah. And so it's fucking freezing. But, uh, yeah, so you straight in, and then, like, the door opens in Afghanistan, and it just smells like dog shit. And you're like, oh. My hair? How am I here? What is like? It just felt really weird. It's foreign, dude. Yeah, I know. Well, it was extra foreign for me because I was just in high school, like yeah. a blink of an eye ago. And then uh, I'll never forget that first day. You know, they're like, "I right, go to the uh, supply shack, get you know, get your shit." So it's big boy rules, you know. These guys are operators, and but like they're not used to that high. Nobody expected that that short term three week, and then just like being able to go through everything in like eight months and be on the other side of the world with a special ops unit hunting right. terrorists. Right? It's crazy. And uh, with no actual experience, you know, I just went through all my training stuff. Like, I haven't been out with my platoon working and doing drills. Yeah. We had no time. So, because the op tempo. And so, like, I go to this, like, supply hooch. Like, what do you need, man? You need some uh, frags? You need some rounds? <laughs> I'm like, I show up, like, to my... Uh, Did you have a grocery cart? What would you have? Man, I, I, yeah, we have your, your kit. So, you start loading everything right. up. So, just, you know, they're like... You don't want to look like a pussy, and you don't want to look like you don't know what the fuck you're doing because this is life or death. Yeah. There's a balance there, right? And so I'm like, uh, take three of those, <laughs> some of that. And they're like looking at me because you're not wearing rank or anything. Like yeah. You're just like, they just know you're there with, with your unit, you yeah. know, and your unit's legit. So if you're with them, you're one of the guys. So there's no question. This is fucking get your shit. Now, where it came into play was like my ranger buddy, uh, <laughs> the uh, – Self-titled Nutsack Ninja, Joey Montez. It's the knives, the yeah, yeah, yeah. hatchets. And the we show up to go out on our first, uh, you know, we're, we're getting ready to uh, go out the first time. And, like, fucker shows up with, I didn't, I didn't, I did not realize he brought this with him. He was, you know, my ranger buddy, so we were always side by side. And he had brought a fucking throwing tomahawk. And he had it on his kit. Like, he was going to scalp some fucking dude overseas. And our two circles, what the fuck is that, bud? <laughs> Think you're goddamn Rambo? <laughs> Go put that shit up. And I show up with a bunch of grenades. They're like, "What is this shit? You stupid ass! You need one. Go put the rest of that shit back." I was like, "Oh, yeah." They're like, "You need water and you need bullets." Yeah. Come, come to find out, and this is a, kind of a short aside, but you need correct me on this. But grenades aren't actually that effective. The kill, the kill radius is five meters. Yeah. So like it's, I mean it's like the shit that comes flying off them. That's yeah. the bad, right? right? But it's the but it's there's no fire. That was the most disappointing thing yeah. ever when you like learn to throw grenades and you see shit explode and you just see a and you just see this little blast wave. But there's no fucking flames like in the movies. Yeah, that's so disappointing. And there's no theatrics about it. <laughs> it is all this shit is not nearly as theatrical as Hollywood makes uh-huh. it. It's which makes it kind of more scary because it's just like you like. The the gore is way more real, right? But the I just never found it as jarring. Like, and I don't know how I flattened out like that, but like I just 
like one of my infantry buddies, like, you know, we're, we're going to the range and like I had a jam and I just, stay, you know, I just stayed calm. Like yeah. you never know how you're going to react when like grass starts popping around you from bullets or whatever. But you know, uh, I don't know. Just some people compartmentalize it better. And uh, it's not, it's not even like the same all the time. Cause there were, I, I knew a guy in our mortar section who, you know, who had been in firefights before, but he froze on one. He just fucking froze. And nobody could like couldn't really explain it. It just you know, he just he didn't put that box away that day or whatever you know, um, and so you know I get back. Let's just I'll get I can talk about that shit all day. But you know we get back that first one and I, and I, I definitely wanted to go home right after. Um, how long were you in Afghanistan? Total classified. Okay, it actually is. Uh, no, I mean it's. I think it's classified. I don't know. I wasn't over there very long because Rangers don't do long deployments, right? right. Yeah. So we do forty-five day deployments, ninety-day deployments. Like yeah. they're not long deployments because it's not what we do. We're not there to occupy space. We're hunters. Yeah. You get a list of like the Army Times just did a huge article because First Bat just came back on rotation. And they kill or captured nineteen hundred terrorists mm-hmm. on this last deployment, right? I saw that, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you just get a, a you know a hit list of shitheads. Uh, or, you know, bad dudes, of known bad dudes, the intel community is like, these guys are bad, right? Um, and being more educated now, it is a very blind faith that we're going on with, with the, that kind of uh, mission. Um, but, yeah, so all I'll say is, and it was kind of, I was really bummered out, like, you know, part of the, the ble- you know, the, the honor in being in a unit like that is, like, you don't, there's no bells and whistles, there's no parties, there's no parades, know you you leave under secrecy and you come back so that you know we get back and like the bird gets back and all these dudes wives are there and it's just their wives you know there's no media coverage there's no parades you come back under the veil of night and you just get silently ushered back to your unit where you immediately grab all your friends and go to the strip clubs to spend all the money you just earned which is what junior enlisted people do yeah um and in washington state they don't serve alcohol in strip clubs so when you're 18 you can still get in yeah there you go um but yeah, fully nude too, and right? then I got yeah, oh yeah, um, go there for the fishing and stay for the clubs. So that's that's <laughs> kind of their motto. I guess when I got the lightning bolt tattoos, if you remember, yeah, I do. Yeah, I like I thought it was super funny. Like I felt kind of badass, but I, like I had to put like a joke with it. So I put these cartoon lightning bolts tattooed on the insides of my arms. Um, that's where that came from. And then I went home on leave, and I remember my dad picked me up from the airport, and he was asking me about stuff, and I started talking to him about it. And he's like, Stop. He's like, I don't need to know you're out there doing stuff like that. So just be safe and never talk to your mom about that stuff. It's like, cool. It's old. Got it. But the sense of accomplishment oh, and, yeah, and, no, he, and pride after and all that. that well, it was more of like. That was the tipping he, point he, for him? Yeah, it was, that, for was, you that, was, that was that was the he no longer had to keep me. Right. Square. His job was done. As far as like keeping me squared right. away, right, right. So it's really changed. It really changed the whole dynamic because he didn't have to be the authority in my life. Because either the military had me or I had myself, but like he didn't have to serve as the authority, and he really, you know, dropped his guard down with that and became more of you know. We talked a lot more after that. Like had like legitimate conversations. Whereas before, he I think he had to keep his that authority shield up and kind of make sure he was staying in that role. I think what he was, what he was doing. And, uh, yeah. So with all that, you know, I, I was, I had no plans of getting out, you know, I I was going to stay in and enlisted and, uh, and then I get my shoulder tore up 
and they did give me the option. You know, they said, hey, you can uh, go down to Big Army and just be a leg and just do your admin job that you trained to do originally, which I knew was a nightmare and I wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. And uh, were, you, were you back in Seattle at this point? Yeah, yeah. so I'm back there. And, you know, I get hurt, and, uh, they, you know, they gave me that option, and I was like, Shh, no, you know. So they're like, well, you can get out, you know, med discharge. So that's when I got out, right? Hmm. And I got out uh, in you – now, my ETS date was, like, September – but I had like leave saved up, your know, vacation saved up, so they let you early ETS yeah, and yeah. just eat up those days. Yeah, I did the same thing. And uh, so I got out, and this was 05, right? So in August of 05, like that, me and my dad, my dad actually flew up and we drove cross country together. That's when we really got close. Um, in the white Ford? In the white Ford. Old white lightning. Oh, yeah. Old white lightning, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he flew up to Seattle one way, I scooped him up from the airport. My bags were packed. He had his bag with him, and we started right then. Like we didn't even like check shit out in Seattle. We just like <laughs> I was just ready to get back, man. I was over it, you know. Um, hindsight, I wish I'd have, I don't stopped know. and smelled the roses a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I've never been one to stop and smell the roses, man. I just want to move on to the next thing. Yeah, I just want to get to that next phase. What was that ride like? Well, how long? It was, was good. It? it was three day ride, man. Because we went diagonal and we went like from Seattle back to Mobile. Um, you know, we cut through a lot of states, saw a lot of cool shit. You know, we just had a big one of the big Tom's mat, big ass, you know, road yeah. atlas. And uh, it was just me and him, man. Did a road trip, you know. Listened to uh, like comedy on uh, on on CDs. I remember like Rodney Carrington, like those guys, and uh, uh, just different comedians, and just talked, you know, talked about him, my mom, me, and you know, what I wanted to do, and just got close. It was, it was good. It was good for us. Some of the takeaways on what you told him you wanted to do when you got back. What where were you? Where were you uh, headed from that point? Did you? Did he ask or did you share? Or? Uh, I mean, I, I really didn't have an idea to be honest. I knew I wanted to go to college. Yeah. I figured I'd make I'd, I'd make it up, you know, as I went. But I was like, you know, I I know I can be successful in college. I'm smart, you know. I had scholarship yeah. before. I was like, and that was the game plan. It was just get to college. It was, I had no actual aspiration of doing anything uh, much after. And then um, you know we take that big road trip together. And this is two thousand six, five, five. Yeah, we get back and then Hurricane Katrina hits. Yeah. Know. The week after I get back, which shut everything yeah. down that first semester, and then uh, I yeah. was I was actually in the desert. Yeah, you were there, but yeah, I I got back and got set up, and then immediately get smashed with Hurricane Katrina. Hmm. So the neighborhood was shut down. We had to use a four by four to go pick up ice and like supplies and stuff. It was it's a nightmare. It was in August. It was hot as balls. Oh, dude, so all that like humidity. Just just stagnant water being around, and the heat comes in right after Katrina. It's over 100 degrees. Fucking terrible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and I was helping my parents out, and our, my grandparents, you know, my, my grandmother at the time and all this stuff. So that led me into uh, – led me back to uh, school. And right when I started back college, I started, you know, being a personal trainer, um, which I really enjoyed, which led me to start my own personal training company. And then I was – and, and when I was serving as a per, or was working as a personal trainer, that's when I met what who would be my future ex-wife. Mm-hmm. That's where we met at that gym, and then uh, we ended up, you know. Well, uh, so back back up, and I'm not going to get derailed on this too far. But between the time when you got out, so I, even when you got out, what was the was there a sense of I'm not going to say. I mean, did you feel like I, it, there was disappointment? Obviously. Yeah, I mean, so when I left, which is crazy because I went from, you know, Mobile as a couple of days after graduating, 
straight in the military. And the only other experience I had with Mobile was just when I was home on leave, visiting friends, and just you know, just partying essentially. Yeah. So in, in my mind, I wanted to go back to Mobile because it was super fun. Yeah. I didn't realize as an adult it kind of sucked at the time. Yeah. You know, and so like I got back there and I was like, ah, party, and everybody's like, no, we got to work and shit. Like you're not on vacation. Like we're just here now. Yeah. I'm like oh, gross. Oh, I've done something terrible. You know, I was yeah. like shit. And uh, it was tough, man. Like, I got into a lot of fights when I first got out. You know, it was like the intensity, like, in Ranger Bat, right? Like, if I get into an argument and, like, we're buddies in Bat and, like, we get an argument about something, we just jump on top of each other and start fighting. Like, and we start rolling and grappling until one of us taps. And it's, there's no animosity. You deal with things with violence, right? Yeah. But aren't we are comfortable with that violence? Like, like our I got my shoulder checked because we were doing, like, ultimate Frisbee. And every time you got you bumped into somebody, you just fucking went straight to a grappling thing and doing jujitsu and arm barred and my shoulder got ripped to pieces, you know? Yeah. And, um, and just shit like, but like it was, that's what we did all the time. And that's why Rangers aren't allowed in a lot of places around Seattle are just really rough. <laughs> Dude, Rangers are allowed in like most of the bars in Seattle or Tacoma. You're not allowed to go back to the, the still. No hill raising around yeah, here. It is. Cause like, you just like, you're just like with the, the mentality you have to have, to kick in a door when you know there's like bad dudes on the other side of that may or may not have guns on it. Just that mentality they breed into you. Really they, they check tattoos at the door or something. Yeah, they I say don't that. know how that it works, but they, I mean, stereotype. There's not, there's not a lot of us and yeah. we all look alike. Yeah. And then kind of guilty by association too, right? You, they, you show up with somebody and then they get in a fight and oh, race yeah, out. Like every yeah. one of you out the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I got you. Um, so hold on. But so getting out, um, huge transition back into civilian life. I want. I want to. Yeah. No. So that, so that, so that transition. You know, it was. And you know, man. Like, do you remember? I got like the whole throat thing, and then you know, I got stabbed once when I was in Seattle with yeah. a freaking screwdriver from jumping into a pile of dudes, thinking I can fight a, more than like a dude. Yeah. Totally sober too. Totally sober. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These scars are sponsored by alcohol. <laughs> Um, no, man, but, like, the normal mentality of, like, a, a person to turn around and go the other way yeah. when you're being mm. faced with overwhelming odds and you just bite down, like, fuck, it just amps you up more the harder it is. Like, oh, this is hard? There's a bunch of you? Fuck yeah. Like, you just want to dive into it. And you're just – I don't – I can't explain if it's – you can't comprehend – I don't think it's that you don't. Like that fear, I think it it's for somehow it gets wired to like to motivate you or to move towards it. Yeah. To conquer it, right? So it's like I don't have to be afraid of you if I beat you. Like I don't have to worry about you if I beat you. So oh there's a big scary problem. Cool, I'm coming right at you. Mm. So I don't want you there anymore, so I have to overcome you, so I don't have to deal with you anymore. So it's this kinda like finality of just oh, you shot at me overseas? Like we don't like duck and hide, try to escape enemy fire. It's not a retreat yeah. thing. It's we're going to keep bounding towards you till we find you. You don't shoot at us without consequences. You don't come at me with an obstacle without consequences. You know, that whole the mentality, like I said earlier, it doesn't serve you well necessarily all the time because you'll bite off more than you chew and get your ass kicked. It's hard to turn it off. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. And I say it's hard to turn off. Uh, it's just that mentality of just digging in. And I still yeah. have it, but I also, it's been tempered by life, yeah. by adulthood, fatherhood my career like learning when to do you think that's and i'm not trying to get derailed here but do you think that's also 
how hard do you think that is for like professional athletes and especially fighters nowadays? Uh, you see what to, happens to be able to man. turn it off. It, it's it's how not, do you it, and people say it like it's it's a turning something off. It's not a level of intensity you turn off or on. It's how you deal with conflict. Mm-hmm. Deal with conflict by smashing it. <laughs> when your profession is violence, you deal with conflict by smashing it. And you're literally training to become super efficient at it. Fighters train to... My, as a fighter, your job is to hurt the other person, to turn their brain off or to break something on them. That's their job. To win a fight, I have to break you, break a bone, break an arm, break a leg, or with a you hole, choke, you, choke you out. I had to shut you off. Yeah. I got to make it where your body doesn't work anymore. I got to turn your brain off, right? Yeah. So... It ours was, you know, obviously the same way. It's oh, cool. We'll react to fire, or you know, if they're they don't have weapons, you have to incapacitate them and bring them down, you know, without shooting them. So, violence, and they breed it amongst each other. We have, where we have to be comfortable with violence all the time. So mm-hmm. it's encouraged for. I mean, I when I was getting ready to get out, a pack of Ranger privates attacked a regular army unit that, and they instigated because some like probably like. Brandon Lieutenant thought he'd be hot shit and thought he was okay to jog his PT formation through our, like, driveway thing to the other side, to the other road. That's not a cut through, buddy. It says on the big blacked-out gate, do not enter. And somebody told the Ranger Pirates to go over there and ball them up. And they did. They attacked a non-Ranger. <laughs> they just attacked them <laughs> and kicked the shit out of them. And they did when we got down to uh, reception, going back to that, I remember the uh, the like the NCOs in charge of that. They were telling like the regular army dudes that came in to the, get ready to go to their units, like, "Do not mess with the guys in black PTs. Those are Rangers, and they will fight you, and they will kick your ass because there's a lot of them, and they all love to fight." Like I remember that was part of the briefing. <laughs> it was. It was part Fair of the briefing. Fair warned. <laughs> they did. They told them. They told those regular army dudes. They're like, "Do not mess with them. Yeah. They will come at you. Like they're ravenous little angry men." Like yeah. we're all—that's what happened. Like Rangers, we're all about the same build. We're all white dudes under six foot. It's like I think in my unit we had three white dudes, Hispanic dudes, and there's very few African Americans in the Ranger units, um, for whatever reason, you know. And, uh, and but it, for the it's a predominantly white unit. We're all stocky. It's all due to we're at. You can just. Everybody has the same story. They were athletes. Yeah. Not big enough to play pro ball or college ball. So we all end up being shorter, athletic, and just still love that that sport aspect, that camaraderie, that intensity, the adversity of training. They love all that. Like, that's what ends up happening. Or at least that was the perception and what a lot of people I talk to. It's kind of the same deal. Um, but, yeah, so – So all that. With all that, that mentality going out into the world. Yeah. You think you're tough shit. You think you're better and you know more than the people out there. But, like, it doesn't matter. Like, once you get out, and this is the reason, like, Spec Ops has the highest uh, rate of suicide, right? So, you know, 22 veterans kill themselves a day. We're the highest demographic of suicides, the identifiable demographic in the U.S. of suicides, right? 22 a day. Yeah. Right? People are like, it's PTSD. Well, what? no, it's not PTSD. It's depression. It's getting out and realizing that it doesn't matter. It's finding purpose in a life where you, when you go from uh, believing that you are fighting good and evil, 
you're in the military. You've got this camaraderie. You got your brothers and sisters beside you, and you're fighting bad guys. And like you have a mission. It's I mean, it's tremendous build. I mean, you just you have so much purpose, right? Yeah. You know, purpose is what people use to define their lives. You have so much purpose, and when you get out the very bare bones view of life that a lot of veterans have when they get out and that you know i've been guilty of it is you just look at it you go this is gross man you guys are just uh rats trying to get some cheese like you all just want to get some money not get arrested get a couple of ha-has in and then die and not make too much of a fuss because without a purpose that's it i hear you know you gotta have a purpose and so finding a purpose that's comparable that can take your mind off of what you just came out of is so difficult. Hmm. You, know, you need good friends, you need good family, you need a support system. And oftentimes, rangers just keep, or not rangers, but just guys keep to themselves, you know? Yeah. You know, you, you that struggle you were fighting externally becomes internally. And so now you're getting down on yourself. Like you're, you know, you have an attitude problem because you think these people need to show you some respect or they don't know, understand because your friends are still over there fighting right now what they're doing, this little shit job you're working at. Like, oh, it doesn't matter, man. You don't understand. Like, this shit doesn't matter. Don't talk to me like that. Okay, cool. You're fired. Oh, shit. Hmm. You know, like, yeah, I mean, like, in school, I was I was a shithead in college because I was like, I had, a, I had beef with all the professors. I was like, what are you talking about? You don't know what's up. You fucking sit in a classroom and hide out. You don't even have, have a real job. Like, I remember saying that to an English professor. And she's like a 26-year-old grad student. I was being a complete dickhead to her for no reason. She's trying to do her job. And like, I just didn't like the way she was coming at me. And I was like, you know, just for whatever reason, yeah. you know. And I think that is the biggest part of the transition is we're like, you're not on that mission anymore. And now you're in the rat race with everybody else. And you got to find a purpose. And nobody really explains that to dudes. There's no mental help. They help you transition. Got to get you a job. Okay, why? Just to get paychecks? So yeah. I can buy stuff I don't need? All right. Do you feel like there's any groups out there doing a better job? Than, nope. Than I've tried. I've no. tried all of them. There's some are. Um, you know, a lot of them purport to be, and maybe some of them are trying, but it, you can't reach every guy mm-hmm. and every girl. You can't. No. And, impossible. And, par- and a lot of it is, I don't want to reach out for help. Yeah. I don't want to let you know that I can't just handle the the day-to-day. Yeah. You know, it's weakness, and you don't want to show that weakness, and so it leads a lot of dudes to internalize it. And, uh, you know, it's, I'll say this, I've true like, you know, before I got married, before I had my kids, I was spiraling down, you know, fighting, getting in trouble, I, you know, took extended MMA that I was like, what the hell am I doing with this? You know, I got, you know, essentially jumped eight stitches to the back of my head, 40 here, you know, I got jacked up pretty good, just being wild as shit. And then, you know. Got involved and then, uh, you know, got married and had a kid. And it just like whoosh, snapped me back into a purpose. Just droop, right back. As soon as all that happened, I started to get my shit together. I was like back in school, finished up my degree, started a company, you know, and just ha- laid out a whole game plan. As soon as I had a purpose, I could lay yeah. out a game plan, you know, and you just needed that. And then, you know, that it was a big relief for my parents and my dad, you know, he's like, Yes, worried there for what my dad. It's the only time my dad's ever commented like my drinking, because I was drinking too much. You know, I was all day long. I was couldn't wait to get a drink. You know, when I first got out, I was drinking midday. Just you know, yeah. I drink a twelve pack of beer before I even go out to a bar. You know, and I was like, 
And I looked back. I was like, what are you having a good time? I was just getting fucking wasted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, you know, becoming a father let me grow into an appreciation of, you know, the father that my dad was for me. And, you know, it gave me that purpose moving forward. And it put, you know, it kind of slid the pieces back together for me so I could get back on a track. Because me just out in the wild, feral, was not a good. Well, okay, so back up real quick. When you and your ex-wife met, um, things happened pretty quick. Do you think you gravitated towards that more because you knew that or? No, I think that was a, it was a. You know, at my high school sweetheart and I, we had shacked up for a hot minute, and then you know that went south, and then um, and that happened like I think nine. We split like nine months or so before I met her. Yeah, a few tracks, and then uh, it, it was just a culmination of a perfect storm. You know, she said all the right things, kind of slid in there, and like I was like, oh, this is cool, you know. And then, uh, you know, it it, it all just kind of. Cl- for whatever reason, like just different aspects, like where I was trying, I was tr- I knew I needed to get my shit together. Yeah. And part of me going out all the time was you know chasing girls and doing whatever, oh, yeah. and like having a female partner that like I was already there with, even if we were still going out, like just that you know how it is, you know oh, yeah. you're out on the prowl, you know, looking uh, for whatever out there looking for a significant other for whatever looking for my soulmate to share a hot tub <laughs> with, you know. Um. Out, out there doing that, that 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 was a big piece of the puzzle. I was like, okay, cool, I got that. All right, so, well, what else do I need to do? School, get, get you know, I didn't even start back school first. I started my company first. Yeah, you know that that motivated me to uh, go ahead and quit working for that gym, and then started my own personal training company, and I really started making some good money. And then I was like, let me get back to school. So I get back to school. We have the baby, you know, um, and you know, becoming a father. When she was pregnant, it was really weird, you know? Like, I, I was really sold on being a dad. I, I never thought about having kids. I never, like, wasn't looking forward to being a dad. It was just something that came up. And I was just, you know, I was into my ex-wife at the time, like, when she was still cool or we were cool or whatever. Um, you know, when she got, I found out she was pregnant, I quit drinking, you know, show of solidarity. Yeah. You know, back then, I was thought I was trying to do the right thing. And then, uh, you know, we had the baby. And... You know, I was like, oh, all right. And I got really into it. I dug it, you know. And um, I've arrived. I've <laughs> arrived. Yeah, no, I mean, I re- like, out of all the things I've ever done in my life, I've done, lived pretty good, you know. Yeah. Um, being, a, being a dad and being a father is hands down my favorite, right? You know, I moved away. I, I'm Birmingham, Alabama, I'm not knocking Birmingham. I'm not trying to give it a hard time. You know, it's definitely blessed me more than I give it credit for. Um, but it certainly wasn't my first choice. You know, I've lived in great city, I've lived in you know, Seattle, even Mobile being on the port city, you know, I'm down there on the water and I grew up there, have lots of friends, family. And, you know, I lived in New Orleans for law school, you know, lived in Pensacola. So I've lived in some really great cities on the water and I love being on the water. And then my ex wife got remarried, moved up here and you know, so but I didn't have to move up here. I chose to move up here to be close to my kids because I didn't want to be just a weekend dad or a once a month dad. I wanted to be able to see them at school, to go to that play, go to those games, go to that practice. Like I want to be part of their lives and not just like a, like a like a loose relative you see on holidays and whenever. So, you know, we had my daughter, and then things in the marriage after that started going south. And uh, 
never forget, you know, I get, you know, I graduated school and the marriage wasn't working out and I set up in that PhD program, you know, I was going to, you know, start working on my PhD and start, you know, teaching undergrad and I was going to keep my first training company. But then when the divorce thing started rolling around, I was like, I'd always kind of thought about law school, um, just because, you know, I did the paralegal thing in the army and, uh, and when I took the GRE, which is the, you know, the graduate exam, so you can go to grad school, you know, I took that, but I, I also took the LSAT, which is the law school entrance exam, you know, off the cuff, just yeah. to see where it'd be just like a backup plan. And, um, you know, I did well enough on it to get in some schools. And so I, you know, informed the, uh, the department I was going to be working with, the geology department, you know, that I wouldn't be taking the position. I wouldn't be, you know, I was going to go to law school instead. And, uh, sold the personal training company, you know, served her with divorce papers or whatever we did, uh, or we, you know, I was told her we were getting divorced, it's not gonna work. So all this happened in like a week, and you were making all these big decisions. I took my time and thought about it and thought about what I needed to do. And then, uh, you know, by the end of that week, you know, I had been, I got registered in school in Loyola in New Orleans. Did have my company more, so I was 100% in right sold out and then like on that friday she like called me and was like i'm pregnant yeah that was my son you know your godson yeah there's a lot to unpack there but go through as best you can um sorry about being a dad and having to make the decision to that was tough man like i was really close to my you know my i took my daughter to school every morning took took a daycare every morning so like i you know i had that personal training company still so my first client was at 5 a.m. So I'd get up 4.30, get ready, go train from 5 a.m. till about 7.30 a.m., wake my daughter up, get her fed, dressed, and get her to preschool. And then I was going to, you know, college in the day. And then I would go train a few more people that evening and get back to the family. And that was the day. Um, so I was real close with her. I had her every morning, you know, didn't miss anything with her. And, um, and like, as things were spiraling out of control, yeah, we're getting up there. As things were kind of spiraling out of control with uh, you know, the marriage, I realized it was it was going downhill. I was like, man, you know, we went to multiple counselors. Like, I, I did not want, you know, did not want to get divorced. Like, even if I didn't like her, I was like, can I live with her for the sake of you know being there with my daughter? And I was like, I started thinking about all the consequences that would happen if you know we did get divorced. You know, dealing with my kids and all their stuff, and it it was a mixture of like digesting what I perceived I had no idea what was going to happen uh, digesting the uh, what I perceived to be the negative consequences of divorce on myself my daughter and just even my daughter's mother you know because she's still part of you know we're still mm. the parents of my daughter so um, it took a while that it took I mean I thought about it for a long time it was in the back of my mind and then just you know we got to that point and it was that was it yeah. and uh and by the end of that week, she informed me that she was pregnant. I was like, with what, a food baby? You know, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You can't be having kids. You know, we hadn't even, you know, we weren't, you know, it just, on the one time, you know, yeah. all it takes is one. Oh, yeah. Got yeah. the Michael Phelps swimmers, dude. Get in there. <laughs> um, now, the, uh, so she was pregnant, and we were still going forward with the divorce, you know, at that time. We were just going to like, we're, you know, I was getting ready to move to New Orleans, but it was still really close. And it's a two hour drive. So you'd already been stepped into law school. Yeah. I, mean, I, I was already, I already had an apartment and everything. Yeah. You know? So, and then as she 
became further along in that first semester. You know, she got, you know, into that first trimester, she started getting real sick, and she was having complications, and we were worried about the baby. And it was just too much emotional stress on her and yeah. the baby. And we just, you know, we said, all right, let's just fake it. Just pretend this isn't happening. And so we did that until the baby was born, and then the summer came along, and everything went right back to the way it was. And we're like, fuck it. Back on board with a divorce. And, uh, and then so following that, man, that, that led me into that whole single dad, that single dad time dealing with that newborn. Yep. You know, in my three-year-old two and a half, three year old at the time and just being with them by myself because you know, she wasn't breastfeeding. So like they were on foremost, they didn't have to be around her. So I had them, you know, carrying them around the little carrier going into, you know, my daughter's potty train. Like I told you, you know, you gotta go to ladies rooms where I go clean the seats and get late and set up and then make sure she's good. And then I go sit in the corner and hold the baby because family restrooms aren't real. You know, they're just yeah, target yeah. And airports and Walmarts. So, and then people always judging you, looking like, you know, there needs to be an amber alert, you know, when you're around with your kids. Because, you know, like we talked about, you know, we said in the last podcast, you know, I'm covered up in tattoos. I was in my, I think I was 27 at the time, so I looked younger. And, you know, they're just like, who the hell gave this guy kids, you know? And, uh, <laughs> a newborn at that. Yeah, newborn. I got like a brand new baby that looks like it's supposed to be on a mom's, you know, teat. They're like, where in the hell are the adults or a female to take care of these kids? But, uh. It was good, man. We grew close. Like my daughter, not my, my daughter. I remember when I came up here, my son was still very young, so he di- he didn't have memories of all that, all yeah. the stuff we did together. So he hadn't developed, you know, children. I think I read that you know the memory doesn't really start retaining that stuff until they're about five. So he had no memory of all the stuff we had done before. He seen pictures here and there. And he was starting kind of confused about his stepdad. Was like, you know, he didn't know. He didn't know, you yeah. know, when they moved up here, and. um so, you know, he would give me shit. Like, he would, like, you know, he, he was confused about, like, me because he felt this conflict and tension between me and his mom. And, you know, he wasn't sure, like, how big of a role I'm supposed to have in his life. I could just tell he was trying to figure stuff out. And he said something, and Leighton stood up for me. She said, you don't know what daddy sacrificed to be here with us, and you should be not, you know. And I was like, she is paying attention. Yeah. Because, you know, I never, never talk out about left, that. Yeah, out of left field, that. Never talk about that stuff in front of her. I never naysay her mother, ever, because they need to respect their mother. They have, they got one mom. I don't even have a girlfriend, so there's no, like, candidate for stepmom. Yeah. So th- you only get one mom, and I don't want like, – her mom. their mom's probably going to, you know, whatever. That's whatever. their mom, and as much as I may – she may not be my favorite person. I'm probably not her favorite person either, whatever. Um, you know, I need her to be okay, and, and I need her to be – a good mother for them. Yeah. And I need to show them how much I respect her as their mother. So, you know, I, I, I keep that in line. And, uh, you know, that has been the most trying things when, you know, things have gotten real nasty. And, you know, my kids have no idea what's going on. And I, uh, you know, I got to keep a straight face and keep up with the side, you know. And it's, it's important to me to do that. Like I said earlier, just compartmentalize it and stick it to the side of the box and move Man, on. Man, I, I told – That's tough. And, and, I, and this is – you know, I may or may not have told her once that, you know, being on the other side of the planet with, like, terrorists and stuff, I hated them less. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I Jesus mean – Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, I'll say this. You know, even in the law, if you catch your spouse in bed with somebody else and you murder them on the spot, right, 
and I'm not talking about murder with like my personal life. I'm just talking about like people recognize how deep a marriage cuts into somebody's yeah like who, uh, who you are as a person, right? Crime so of like passion. It, it, yeah. It's the heat of passion, murder, right? Because they they'll eat everybody. Everybody universally recognizes that like marriage and that that bond, that sanctity. Because you you take two lives and you become one, and so like it's like part of you just like did something awful to you. So dealing with that is tremendous. And so I, you, I don't think you can hate something unless you love it. Yeah. Cause the, I mean, you can say you hate stuff. Like I say, I hate all kinds of shit all the time. Just joking. But I, if I don't, I don't really care about something. You have to care about something to hate it. Cause it can't impact you if you don't care about it. Right. So you can't hate something. If hate is the end of the spectrum, it has to have an emotional impact on you in a positive way to bring up that real visceral, yeah. you know, na- what would Louis C.K. say? And I know that's controversial with Louis C.K., but, you know, I think he said, uh, you know, a man, well, I think I'm butchering this. I think he said a man, it's one of my favorite memes, I thought it was funny. A man will, uh, he will, he will fuck you up. He will break your arm. Steal your car, burn your house down, but he'll leave you alone as a person, <laughs> like who you are inside. Yeah. He said a woman will pull out your heart and shit in your soul and ruin your fucking life. Absolutely. Like, yeah, man. Like that. That's the, like men are physically violent. Women will like mess you up. <coughs> you yeah, put okay. rot in your bones, man. You know, but that, that in, in fairness, like I have like. That was put to bed. Like we just argue about stuff now. Like, I, you know, I sent a thank you card to her when she got remarried. Like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> She's yours now. Good luck. <laughs> you know, same thing her parents told me. Um, you know, just return the favor. There. Just return the favor. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. You know, yeah. um, but you know, with all that said, you know, now my career's here. Things have leveled back off. She's married. My kids are older. My son just turned seven. You know, it's huge. A great birthday. My daughter will be eleven. I know. Eleven. And so big. Dude, having a kid working on a lap doing homework on a laptop on the other end of a couch and I'm, you know, on the other on my laptop doing I'm like, how mm, am I that it's old? It's reality, man. Sinks in. Like I'm barely an adult. <laughs> like at work I'm very responsible. Off work I'm barely an adult. You've seen me. I have. I have. Yeah. I look like there should be somebody uh, escorting me around. Um, and I definitely get – I still get in trouble. I get in trouble all the time. I had the police call on me in Greenville for yelling at a clerk. I get so mad. They didn't want me to work out that day, man. I wanted to work out. <laughs> oh, that's the uh, Planet Fitness. The barcode. Uh, Planet Fitness in Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, you know what? The corporate office, though, they did me right. They, I had calls all day. So I called and complained. That chick was crazy. My barcode didn't work, and she's – in. I was like, well, can we call somebody? She's like, sir, I know how to do my job. I'm just trying to work out. I don't care. Can I just, like, we do something? Sir, I don't need more of your hate speech. I was like, what? What hate speech? <laughs> I'm just trying to work out. What are you talking about? Stop telling me I can't do my job right. I'm like, I do what? I'm not incompetent. Yeah, not. You know, that's where it was going, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and she said, sir, if you don't leave right now, I'm calling the police. I'm like, Hold. And it's like at 545 in the morning. I was like, what in the fuck? I've had men in my life just like you. Yeah, my whole exactly. Life. <laughs> exactly. I was like, fuck. You know what? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that was, you know, I'm just saying. 
I don't know how I got on that. I just no, no, no. Well, that, that brings us back almost full circle to where we started. All these semicircles. You, Man, you're big on these it. circles. I got the circle down, Pat. Well, bubbles, I, bubbles, circles. I know what shape you like, sir. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, bringing it back full circle here to when we started out talking about your career now, where you're at as a father. Um, I think we talked about your dad, um, all the transitions in life you went through and all the, I guess, the different seasons in life where – yeah, mil- high school, military, just that how that relationship progressed, and then now with your kids. Um, yeah, man, it's been a uh, you know getting to where I'm at now, and the relationship I have with my kids is so good. You know, and I I joke with you all the time like about about that because like, I have too many best friends I can't that can't drink. Yeah, like that's it. Yeah, like <laughs> like it's we all like they're they're my children, and so they grew up hiking with me and doing fun stuff like so. They like all the same stuff I like. They have my same sense of humor. So, I mean, it's so good, man. So it's a seven and ten year old, so they're silly. Yeah. So we you know, you hear us. Like we're always oh, la- yeah, we're dude. always laughing and cutting up. So they're just cracking jokes, you know. And uh it's a good time. Like you know, and I appreciate it. And I and I think about that now. I think about like my dad. Um, the guidance he's been able to give me, you know, and like being able to like and see I see the good that he gave me, you know, the support that was there and the intent that yeah. was there in raising me and the, uh, but you know, I, I just, you know, I was like, you know, he, I don't think he was, I think he did the best he could in the situation. I, I think that was just what he thought he needed to but do. But you know that. Yeah, no, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the intent, 100% get it. Absolutely. I'm just going about it in a different way. Yeah. You know, um, and I hope it works. You know, there's won't know. You know, that somebody uh, actually, Jacqueline's uh, your ex-wife, Jacqueline. My, yeah, my ex-wife, her grandfather, who's a great guy, who uh, you know, live in Montgomery. Yeah, he said something to me. It was I thought it was really important. Um, you know, and it's so true. It's probably the most truest thing I've ever heard. I think we should get through this and you know, just talk about it for a second, just wrap it up, but. He said, you know, you have no, you, I mean, you're, you are a small contributor to your children, how they grow up and what they grow up to be. Because think about it. Once you hit school age, kids are at school all day. Your yeah. parents only see you, what, two hours in the evening? Fraction of your time. Two hours in the evening? They're not the biggest factor in your life. They're not the ones shaping you. Where they live, the school they grow up in, their friends they're around. You're if there's 24 hours in a day, <coughs> there's school eight hours a day, right? Yeah. Up in the morning, whatever. So, you're there, the parents get off work at five, kids are in bed by eight, nine. Yeah. So a quarter of the day, they're responsible for a quarter of a kid's. Not even like the, okay, take sleep out. It's less than that. I mean, it's just it's such a small fraction. And he, so, and he said this. He goes, but the one thing you are a parent is the sole contributor of, is how to raise children. And so you won't know how well you raised your children until you, ha- like, a parent won't know how well he raised their, he or she raised their children until they see them with their own children. Yeah. Because that's how they learn how to raise kids. The lessons and the That's work. when you reap what you've sown. Y- yeah, you, you can't help what the world turns your kid into right. and how they grow up until you see them with their kids, and that's when you'll know how how good of a job you did. Yeah. And that real I was like, it's 100% right. There's no other way to look at it. Right. Yeah. The only person that showed you how to raise kids your whole life were your parents. 
Yeah, there's no measurable or. Yeah, there, there's no, there's no. Yeah, they're the ones that raised you, and so the only people that taught you how to raise children were mm-hmm. your parents. Who you turn out to be and what life decisions you make, there's a lot of factors, right? Yeah. So you know, I think my dad has he's gotten a lot softer, and I think he appreciates me more, and he's much more emotional with me now and shares more with me, just because I think he feels like oh, it wasn't for naught, you know. Yeah. Like he sees me with my kids and he's like, okay, it worked. At least part of it worked. You know, it was bumpy, <laughs> but it, something worked. But um, with that, I think we should, uh, unless you got anything else you want to go over or talk about. Uh, no. Um, like I said, I think we brought it back all the way back to the beginning. And I can definitely, that, that last little bit you gave us there, I think was, was gold. I think we, I it think was, we it was gold. That, yeah. yeah I, th- I think we wrap it up on that. So, uh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, there'll be more stuff coming your way. Appreciate it, Evan. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good week, buddy. on that one, man. All right, man. See you later. All right. It's a wrap. Thanks.